Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 31 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, I know it's been a while since y'all have heard me, which for some of y'all may be good. Uh, we did have hurricanes come through Louisiana, so I've been without power for a week and I finally got it back. I'm still without internet, uh, but luckily my in-laws let me come over and use their internet, so we did this. Uh, I'm also without April this week. Uh, she had something come up and couldn't be on the podcast tonight, so I forced my lovely wife Katie to, to join me, and and so that way I'm not sitting here alone. Hello, everyone. So before we get into our guests and all that, I want to make sure I talk about our sponsors. Our first sponsor I want to talk about is Lone Star Reptile Racks. If you need a great quality rack, contact Robert over at Lone Star Reptile Racks. Uh, he does. If you go to his Instagram, you can see that he's got a 1,000 follower giveaway. It says it will give away one of our LS26 tub racks with the FB20 tubs to enter. He must tag two reptile-loving friends and encourage them to follow this page. The giveaway will run until October 15th. And Lone Star Reptile Racks will also cover shipping anywhere in the lower 48. So if you win, you don't have to pay shipping. Enter as many times as you like. Just means you got to tag two people every time. And everyone who purchases a rack and lets them know that they bought it because of this giveaway gets an extra five entries. So if you buy a rack, uh, you get an extra five entries into the giveaway for a rack. So it's win-win for you. So that was our first one. And our next one is Herps Reptile Shows. Sean and Lori over at Herb's Reptile Shows, which I should have the show dates pulled up, but I don't, so I'm pulling them up now so I can tell you when the next one is. And I should know the next one because I'm going to be at it. The next one is in Conroe, Texas on September 19th and 20th. Come by, see me. I will be at the Simply Serpents table. Also, the Simply Bio table where we sell isopods and little isopod setups and bioactive setups. Come by and see me. Uh, and then after that, October 10th and 11th in Waco, Texas. Uh, They've got Slidell, Louisiana here for October 24th and 25th. I think that's on. Uh, Louisiana has been weird with this whole COVID-19 thing. Uh, the one that is going to be a little iffy are, is the Lake Charles one, November 7th and 8th. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, you live under a rock. Uh, Lake Charles is the part of Louisiana that got hit the worst with the storm, the whole southwest part of Louisiana. Uh, and the normal venue has been damaged, so we will not be having the show there in November, but they are working on finding a new place to have that show and get that either on that date or around that date. They're and looking at, they're looking at that weekend or the weekend before that, which is actually the Saturday is Halloween. Oh yeah. And the Sunday is November 1st. So you come dressed up as a weirdo. So basically come as yourself. It'll be fine. So wherever that show is, I'll be at that show too. So that's in Louisiana. All right. So that's our sponsors. Now I want to get to our guest who, I was so glad I came on because it meant I didn't actually have to do much work this week and I can just BS with them this, on this episode, but we have Dr. Travis Wyman. Uh, how are you doing, Travis? I'm uh, doing well. How about yourself? I've got electricity and air conditioning, so I'm doing a lot better than I was about a week ago. Yes. That's good. That's good. The house is clean again. It's a wonderful thing. 
Yeah. Well, I, I I don't have that because I have a six year old who is basically just a walking tornado. <laughs> my my parents have internet at their house, so our nine year old has pretty much been here the whole week because we don't have internet at our house. So her world is turned upside down with the lack of internet. Yeah, but that's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun is for she me doing either. Virtual learning, or is she in school? Well, our schools were actually canceled this week because of everything with the hurricane. And so teachers go back tomorrow for a two-day teacher workshop. So James and I will be back at school tomorrow. And then she doesn't go back until Thursday. But there's four or five schools in our district that won't actually start till next week because they're still working on getting electricity to those areas. Yeah, the ones way out in the country still don't have electricity. Ouch. Yeah, but it, she is face to face, so and not virtual right now. We figured we had to be face to face, so so did she. <laughs> she she needed the structure of being in a classroom. Like I get the people want to keep the kid at home for virtual learning, but I know my kid. She needs to be sitting in a desk and having a teacher talking at her, or else she will just wander off in her own mind. So, but yeah, I I kind of have that with my oldest child. But <laughs> so for anybody again. I feel like the country has somewhat forgot about the hurricane. Uh, and I just want to remind everybody it was, it's way worse than I think the rest of the country realizes because like Lake Charles and, and South of Lake Charles down uh, towards Holly beach and everything. Those, those places are leveled Cameron. Yeah. Those, those houses are leveled. Um, it's the worst storm that I've been through. We, we lucked out. All we lost was power um, and obviously internet. But we were able to get a window unit from a friend. We already had a generator ready, so we were able to keep our fridge and our freezers. I didn't lose any rats, which was awesome. Uh, and we had an air conditioner in our bedroom so we could sleep without sweating our butts off. But there are places that may not get power for a month or two months or more. Uh, and then there's some places where there's no home. I mean, like I said, if you get down there towards right there along the coast, those places were just leveled. And so we, we lucked out. Yeah, I think this is one of these unfortunate side effects of 2020 where so many crap things are going on that we've just hit the point of saturation. And so one more bad thing just falls through the woodwork because everything else bad is going on. So it, it can't even last five minutes in the headlines because everything else just bumps it all the way back down. Well, and the craziest thing is like you'll go to get groceries or you'll go to get gas and you don't see anyone around here really wearing a mask. And you hear you overhear people as they're walking in the store like, crap, I forgot my mask in the car and they have to go back because Louisiana has shifted from pandemic mode to hurricane survival mode. Yeah, and so, we all kind of forgot about the so coronavirus. We, we don't give a shit about mask right now. Uh, but now that we're getting power back, it's starting to get better. But yeah, now it, we're like, oh, yes, we need these when we leave the house. Yeah, it got weird. It really got weird having to go like every couple of days, having to go fill up tons of gas tanks so that our gas cans so that I had gas and power for the next few days. And and we were really lucky. None of our animals really were affected. We put our fish tank on the generator. Yeah, I lost four Tetras. I lost four neon Tetras in the whole storm. Um, my class pets were without power. Uh, but when we went up there, the only one that was really negatively affected by that was my Brazilian horn frog. And we brought him back to the house because it was so much cooler because when the power did come back on at school, the air conditioner was messed up. And the only physical damage we had at our house was my tortoise barn. So <laughs> I had I had thought the day before, I was like, you know, what? I need to go out and strap because it's, it's hinged on the front and it slants backwards and down and uh, it hinges on the front. And I was like, OK, well, it's 
it's hinged up there to a four by four that has construction adhesive to a cinder block. That's fine, but I don't have anything attached on the backside. So I ratchet strapped the backside down. I was wrong. Apparently when you have 80 mile an hour gust of wind, it will rip a construction adhesive right off of a brick and uh, take the roof with it. Luckily the back was strapped down, so it didn't go very far and I was able to get the whole thing strapped down, but. That was the only damage was my tortoise bent. My tortoise I, I heard the large bang and everyone else was asleep in the house. And I, 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 I knew I couldn't fix it by myself. So unfortunately he did have to get woken up early that morning. Well, if, if that's the worst you had, then, you know, Oh yeah. That, that's kind of definitely. Potatoes. Oh yeah. There, definitely. there are tons of people around here who uh, had trees go through their houses. I mean, that was, that was a big thing the day after just tons of people on, uh, on Facebook and through and friends messaging me that had trees and branches go straight through their houses. Um, and we luckily didn't have to deal with that. And we have had some friends that have reached out to us because they have reptiles that needed electricity. Um, what can I do? Like with people that had axolotls. And so, yeah, those are the worst ones. There was one person that has axolotl. A couple people have axolotls. For anybody out there that doesn't know, an axolotl is a really freaky, we talked about before, a really freaky, weird salamander. And, um, the problem is they like it cold and like like room temperature or below cold and uh and down here you're talking all the days after the hurricane it was 90 something degrees outside people's houses were getting into you know if you didn't have an air conditioner it was definitely getting into the 80s which is really hot for an axolotl um so there were a couple of people that were concerned about their axolotls and stuff they're colder temperature animals uh for me i was pretty good i mean my snakes were good um and the rubber boas that i have were in the bedroom with the air conditioner so they were happy yeah that's the way to do it <laughs> just get the snakes that can you know take anything you all weird yeah. little dirt snakes <laughs> i love my dirt snakes <laughs> hey the dirt snakes are the best man they're adorable so i want to hit on the question that i posted which is now like two weeks ago because uh, we missed a week there but I have found a problem with this question. So I thought it was a really good question when I asked it. And then when I started getting answers, I realized, oh, shit, I don't know what these are. Okay, so here's the question. If you could pick any colubrid to keep or colubrid, whoever, whatever you want to say. Colubrid. It or, is colubrid. It's both. It doesn't matter. <laughs> tomato, tomato, even though no one says tomato. Uh, what would it be and why? And here's the problem. Uh, colubrids don't have common names, or at least not the really cool ones that everybody wants. And I don't know scientific names. So a lot of people posted these things. I'm like, that's cool. I don't know what the hell that is. So that was my big problem was post people post a lot of really cool things. I just don't know what they are. I'm pretty boring when it comes to call your rids though, because I'm perfectly happy and content with corn snakes because you have so many varieties of corn snakes. And maybe it's because you have your genetics that you do with them. So I'm more familiar with corn snakes than mm-hmm. others. And they're easy. But they're, they're just... They're cool. I mean, there's not a lot of snakes out there that you can get that are like bright orange and red and only cost $25. Or the black and whites that are. Or the really boring black and white They're not ones. boring. That's what I like. So let me go through a few of these. And then, and then Travis, I want to get to you. If you haven't, you may have answered on here. I don't know. I uh, think I did. So then we'll get to you there. Getting if I even did. Uh, let's see. Ryan Gosselow said either a bull snake or red-tailed racer. Bull snakes are, I think the whole Pichuophis, that whole group is underrated. And I think it's it's getting, we've talked about it before, I think it's coming into its own now, especially with a lot of the YouTubers who have really gotten into them. Um, but it's a pretty cool snake. Plus, it's it's a North American colubrid, so it can pretty much take anything you throw at it. Uh, so if you have a hurricane and you're out of power, 
they'll be fine. Uh, now the the red tailed racers. I'm assuming that's the the red that's the ones from Asia, like the red tailed rat snakes, right? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, we we all have the Google machine. That is true. I do have internet now, so I can Google that shit. We haven't had internet for two weeks. We're still learning what. Oh, uh, so it's Ganyasoma, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, big scientific names. But I think that's okay, yeah, so. I, that is a green snake. It's with, with a red tail. tail. With a red tail. With a red okay, tail. I see the picture now. Sorry. Uh, a little elementary so yeah, school that, teacher brain. <laughs> I think that's what I'm thinking of. I've I've dealt with those once before, and they were imports, and they were assholes. Well, so. all Ganyasoma have a tendency to be assholes. <laughs> okay, yeah, fine. Assholes. <laughs> I mean, they, they all have that that attitude to them because they're just a higher strung, puffy, hissy snake. Oh, yeah, they they uh, and they do that whole like draw back and s up their whole body and open their mouth and yeah, flatten their neck and yeah, I mean they. They like to display. Yeah. And and they will bite. I, I know for a fact they will bite. It's not all bluff. I, I haven't run the risk of getting that close. <laughs> yeah, I was I, – I volunteered at a, a small pet shop in the town where our college was, and the woman that owned it was a moron. I'm sure she still is, but she was definitely a moron then. Oh, I'm familiar with this story. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, the green anaconda one I've told before where she got green anacondas, and I got bit on purpose, so she sent those back. I was just kidding. And then, sh- and then shortly story. after that, you know, because, like, those pet stores get those uh, – and I may still get them in, those importer lists or whatever. This is what we have this week and what you can order. And this woman has no clue about any of the reptiles. She just saw red-tailed rat snakes and ordered them. And uh, got these two, like, four-foot adult, definitely wild-caught, pissed-off, red-tailed rat snakes. And we had to cover the whole tank in cardboard so they couldn't see anybody because all they would do was strike at it and hiss. She ended up sending them back, like, two weeks later. She's like, you can calm them down, right? I was like, no. No, I can't. There is no – this is what they are. James is a snake whisper. <laughs> but oh, that was my only experience with them, and it was not good. So someone out there right now is holding one going, I don't know what you're talking about, but – I can tell you, out of the wild, they do not like to be brought out of the wild and put into a tank. Uh, Lori Torini, who we had on, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago, my my mind is a, two a wash now. You, two weeks ago, I'm like I'm like four <laughs> weeks behind on the podcast, so I don't. Yeah, know. some people some people don't love me enough to listen to the whole podcast. All of y'all out there listening right now. Thank you. Oh, you hush. <laughs> I mean, my own wife doesn't listen, but I'm glad y'all listen. Oh, be quiet. Move on. Lori likes corn snakes. So Lori said I corn agree. snakes. Corn snakes are great. I, that's one, since you're a big genetics person, uh, I, I think that's an understatement, but still, <laughs> that's the one reason you like ball pythons. Did you ever think about doing corn snakes? I didn't. Um, I I mean, I had a corn snake. That was my, actually my first real snake purchase um i was 14 it was an amel and it cost 110 dollars, which you know is kind of unheard of now that'd be crazy um and you know i got him when he was just a pencil of a thing and he passed away four years ago now he was 26 that's awesome 27 I mean, it was one of those, I, I heard, 
heard somewhere on an interview like you know my snakes have made it through you know relationships yeah that that was kind of this snake he <laughs> he made it through elementary school actually i guess i was in junior high then so he made it through junior high high school college where my brother had to take care of him because I couldn't have him up to college with me. He got out and was lost for eight months of that because my brother wasn't feeding him, so he decided to go walk about. Um, was found, was returned to his cage, moved to Georgia with me, made it through my first marriage, moved up were, to Maryland with me. Were you legally allowed to keep it in Georgia? No, and I wasn't okay. aw- I wasn't aware of that at the time. See, I, I just when I moved to Georgia, I was just I wasn't really I was just my own self. I wasn't you know into forums or following or anything with anybody. So I just had my corn snake and moved to Georgia with him and had him at home at you know the apartment at the house with me. And then that's when I started getting into things. And later I learned through a buddy of mine who was at the Atlanta Botanical and had also worked with Atlanta Zoo that, yeah, technically corn snakes are not legal here in Georgia. So if anybody asks, it's not a corn snake. (laughs) And I was like, I can do that. Um, And then a year later, moved up here to Maryland, Virginia area. And that's when, you know, like I said, just a few years ago, he finally kicked the bucket. That's awesome. That I mean, because yeah, that's one thing you don't hear about is people with older snakes. I think you hear about it more and more now. Yeah, you know, there's the 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 odd, you know, I have a 25 year old, 30 year old ball python corn snake, but before they were, and not by snake people, but by general public, they were looked at as, as disposable. They're like goldfish. Uh, or you know, or a parakeet. You get it, and if it lives, it lives. If it dies, it dies. You had it, whatever. Uh, and yeah, so and I think corn snakes definitely fit into that. And, and unpopular opinion, I think that a lot of the really highly popular animals in the hobby are kind of viewed that way: corn snakes, beardies, leopards, ball pythons, dragons. I think all of them are sort of viewed as the um, disposable snakes because they're so easy to produce that they're not that a lot of people breeders and keeper wise just don't really care about them because you can make them if you lose it you can just go out and buy another one and it's not a huge challenge um you know, then you get your other snakes that take a little bit more time and effort and care. And those are the ones that, for lack of a better term, the more serious hobbyists go after because they're not viewed as disposable. They're viewed more as an actual snake to work with. Now, yes, I'm painting with a broad brush there. I know that there are people in the ball python corner of the hobby that actually enjoy their snakes and don't view them as disposable. You know, I'm one of those people. I do it purely for the genetics aspect of it, you know, but I got a small collection where I'm, I'm focused on the things that I want to do. There are other people in the ball Python community that do the same type of thing, but painting with a broad brush. I do think a lot of these easier species are viewed as kind of disposable because they're just so easy to make and so easy to move. Well, see the, the fact that corns are so easy and so readily produced in the hobby and there's so many of them, 
that's the part that makes me amazed that places like New Jersey and Georgia and I think South Carolina was trying have these laws against owning corn snakes. Like I, I get wanting to protect native wildlife, but there's not this huge rush to go out and collect wild corn snakes. And so I think like that's a it, it, these rule these laws like most of them, and we'll touch on some of them later when we talk about U.S. art. But like most pe- most of these laws are made by people that have no understanding of what's actually going on. Um, and so like like when you said you lived in Georgia and I, and I knew that you couldn't you can't have corn snakes. I think that's it's a dumb law. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, and my thing is is the the corn snake that you're purchasing odds are have so many different genetic markers that it's going to be so far from a normal. Yeah. You can't find a normal corn snake. Um, they don't exist. Yeah, Not pretty anymore. Much. I mean, even if it looks normal, it's. Yeah. There's, there's no, I, I, I want someone out there who has not gone out and caught. Oh, okay. It doesn't count if you went out and caught a wild corn snake and then bred it. Does anybody have a corn snake out there that is normal? 100%. You you know for a fact that it's not head albino, head whatever. I want to see a picture of it because I just don't think they exist. I I think Justin probably does. Probably because he went and you know picked it out of his backyard. You see us cheating though. I want one that is a, was brought, bought from a breeder at a show and they, they bred it. They had the parents. Like I want to see one that – I don't think they exist. I don't think anybody's anybody that is a corn snake breeder you know, breeding multiple clutches a year has produced a normal in probably 15 years. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. Which I think is insane for what is really one of the prettiest snakes we have in North America that we've moved so far away from what they look like. So I don't know, just weird. All my rant back to some of these people and what they wanted. Oh, Brandon Millchamp from the Canadian Herpetoculture Podcast. And I know we've talked, he and I have talked before. He likes anything from Madagascar and he loves all the hog nose. They have some cool stuff there, though. They do have they some do. cool stuff in Madagascar. He wants the speckled hog noses. I've worked with the giants. I know he has some giants, but if he had to pick one, he'd say it would be the speckled hog noses. Um, but Madagascar in general, I think anything from there is pretty awesome. Uh, Austin Warwick said it would be Patias, which I had to go look up, which uh, for anybody out there also who doesn't know what Patias uh, Carinata is, it is known as the killed rat snake. It's pretty neat looking. Which is cool looking. They're they're big, and they also are apparently a little bit crazy-ish. Really? Yeah, but I think that's more because most of them coming in are straight out of the wild, so... Yeah. I mean, they're they're a large, highly intelligent species. I mean, they're they're kind of the dry marcon of Southeast Asia. They're a very large, intelligent snake, and so it's kind of understandable why they might be a little bit more rambunctious. Well, and Austin says uh, they're active, big, and fast, and it would be awesome to establish and see more readily available for people uh, in the hobby, which would be true. It's one of those things that they're their imports so that's one thing that also there's a lot of really cool snakes and that given several years of breeding in captivity will will calm them down but the problem is at this point they're not kept by a lot of people just because they have that uh they are they're very defensive and people don't want to deal with that i'm one of two i don't want to deal with a snake that bites me all the time um so it'd be very interesting as our hobby moves back towards this whole spreading out to different species seeing where we are in 10, 15 years after people have bred it for a couple of generations and seeing if they've calmed down some uh, and, 
and see what's available. Yeah, um, it's. I think the best person to watch for that would be uh, Dan over at DM Exotics. Yeah, because I know he's been working with them for a couple of years. Um, I think, but don't quote me. Jason Hood may also be working with them. Jason works with. I can never remember the name of them. It was really cool. He's working with the bird eating snakes and the puffing snakes. I thought yes. he was working with Patias too. I. I could be mistaken. He had some of those, uh, like I said, I can never remember the, there's always this big scientific name for them, but the, they're really colorful. They look like they're fake and like someone painted them, but he had the adults at Tenley last year. And like, I did a double take when I walked by the stables. Like there's no way that's a real snake. They have these huge colorful scales and yeah, I, I don't, I, I can never remember what they are, but I think those are, those are the puffing snakes. Um, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I mean they do. They they kind of look like somebody took a a bag of M and M's and just glued them onto a snake body type of thing because they they've got all these different colors. And to hear Jason talk about them, they go through like two or three different color changes over the course of their maturity. And like the snake you see today in six months is not the same snake that you'll see. You know, it'll go from being this sort of brown and tan and yellow thing to an orange and gray and red and then greens and mauves and yeah they they sound incredible but i think they also get pretty sizable and i don't know that i'm up for dealing with a nine foot climbing snake i'll say the ones he had at the show were were decent sizes and i don't know how old they were um but that's one of those things that you know as as a hobby it's you know people fight for these really really colorful morphs of ball pythons or corn snakes or whatever they are but there's these snakes out there that people very few people are keeping that are as equally or more beautiful and I'll be really interested to see if they can make this work and get those snakes in the hobby more, get those people will start to see the, the nature of uh, how pretty snakes can be before you try to put 15 genes into them. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Skip down a little bit. Um, oh, Brian Hayes says Eastern Indigos. I'd love an Eastern Indigo. They just poop too much for me. I can't Jason do it. Jason Brumley's is pretty good. Uh, see, Jason Brumley said, why can't I, I, I? Okay, hold on. Chirosepelia paradisii. Dece, I don't know. So uh, they are, I think the paradise flying, flying snakes. snakes. Yeah, the flying snakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what flying snakes are. Those are cool. They have big scales. I mean, who doesn't want one of those, right? Something that can fly. Yeah, but it's not a but forehead. It's, it's, a, it's a misleading name. It's it's a fancy falling snake. <laughs> it should not be called a flying snake. They're fancy <laughs> falling snakes. That's, that's anything that's got flying in its name. I mean, flying frogs. <laughs> Yeah. Flying squirrels. Fly, yeah, they're all just Fancy parachuting. Fall. Yeah. Falling with style. There is a there's a really good paper out there on the physics of the flying snake, though. <clears throat> and only I would be nerd enough to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, yep, that's a teacher right there for you. <laughs> I'm, they, I'm, they, like, they, they, they put little white dots down the back of the snake and then they filmed it with a high-speed camera from well, above awesome. and below so you, they can actually track how the body motion helps it direct itself and slow its descent to get that's pretty longer, cool I have, longer seen, time. I have seen that where it's 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 way more controlled than what people thought because if, if you look at it in real time it looks like they're just flinging themselves out of a tree and landing somewhere in another tree but i have seen the studies where they found out they, they were actually aiming and and landing where they're expecting to land for the most yeah. part. So, but still, they're just falling with style. 
It is falling with style, yes. <laughs> uh, Christian Parr said Yellowtail Kribo, which again is another gigantic snake, which probably poops a ton because it's in that same group as Indigos, and they just poop a lot. And those are big uh, Kribos. I know Riley's on here somewhere. Riley said, I think Blacktail Kribos. That's a lot of snake. I don't think I can do that. Those are those are very large, very long, active snakes. Yes. And that's why I haven't gone in that direction. <laughs> that's why I stick to my stuff in the ground that buries itself and doesn't move much. Uh, Darren Watson said bamboo rat snakes, which those are just one of those things. Like when you see a picture of them, you can't help but think they're amazing looking with the uh, bright reds and oranges with that black. I mean, bamboo rat snakes are super pretty. Uh, oh, Amanda Rua posted. Uh, she said she had to go with rat snakes, and then she posted a new tattoo she got with a rat snake in it. So I guess once you get it tattooed on your body, it's, it's a gorgeous tattoo, though. It is a really nice tattoo. Uh, but once you get it tattooed on there, that's, you've committed to that species. You better not change. Uh, let's see. Oh, this one's this person. Joel said African file snakes. Those are kind of cool. Those are interesting. Um, I think some. I think some good work could be put into those as a group as well. And we could see some fun stuff out of them. He said, since getting him, I fed him once and he's had to pick up poop four times. <laughs> okay. Maybe not. I mean, that sounds, that's starting to sound like a Kribo where all the food is shit and they shit more than they eat. <laughs> uh, this Travis Wyman person said, and I'm like, you go ahead and tell me what this is. I'm not going to try and say it. Oligodon octoluniatus. Yes. It's another species of kukri snake. Oh, okay. With the, um, the funky teeth. With the funky teeth, yeah. Um, except, you know, so the ones that I have, the purpurescens, I've got the brown phase and the red phase, and they're just, you know, alternating bands. Um, the octos have got eight stripes down their back, hence octolineatus, um, that are black, yellow, and red. Oh, that's cool. So like the central one is red and then it's bordered by black, yellow, black, yellow. It They're really damn cool looking. Um, I have yet to see one offered in the hobby though. So it could be are, a pipe dream. Are kookeries, that is that group, is that mildly venomous or not venomous? They just have sharp teeth. Um, the jury is out on that. There is one species that they say has the Duvroy's gland, but then there are three others that I've read say they don't. These are all also like from papers written in the thirties and forties and stuff. And I haven't seen anybody who has gone and done any real research into it recently. Um, I unfortunately had one of mine expire. Um, looks like it had some liver issues. I don't know what exactly, but like, two-thirds to three-quarters of its liver was rock hard. Um, could that could that be – I mean, I'm not not saying anything bad about how you keep your stomach. Could it be diet? Is there something that they're getting in the wild that we're not giving them activity? I don't think so. Um, mostly I, I did a full – well, I didn't do a full necropsy because obviously I'm not a vet, but I, I dissected it. She did not have, you know, any of the excess fats or anything on her. Um, there were – weird little pockets that for lack of a better term, almost looked like tuberculosis infections, but I don't 
I have never heard of a snake having tuberculosis, especially not in their liver. Um, I wonder if maybe it was um, just because she was wild caught. And when I brought her in, I didn't see any uh, type of worm infections or anything in her. I did hit them both with uh, ivermectin as a preventative. And I wonder if maybe she had something in her and the ivermectin didn't get it. It wasn't enough to like be massively harmful, but after three years there was just a decline and it caused her to drop. Nah, man. Um, but you know, I, I went in and looked at everything inside of her. I've got all of the organs out now so that the body itself isn't like a massive rotting mess. Um, and I've got, you know, the upper third of the body left. I'm very seriously considering doing a more detailed dissection of the head and lip area to see if I can locate a Duveroy's gland in there. And that way, at least, we'll have some kind of better idea of what's, you know, what it is that they are, if they're true epistoglyphs or if they're just a modified dentition type snake. So you can't, you can't pin those and grab them behind the head without getting a tooth in you, right? Like that, that tooth comes back pretty far. You, you could, um, it's more just being able to handle a small, very squirmy animal that, yeah, they can be very fast and they, they're quick with those teeth when they want to be, um, and when I was doing the dissection, I went and just checked the mouth to see so I could try and get a decent picture of those rear fangs. And when I opened the mouth, they're not immediately obvious. So I'm wondering if they may have some of the musculature for intentional flexation, kind of along the lines of, you know, what we would see in a rattlesnake or something where those teeth are able to be retracted to some extent and opening the mouth and flexing out is what causes them to extend in a voluntary manner. Uh, are they located towards the back or the front? The back, right? They're located towards the back. Um, if you look at a picture of their head, they're almost directly under the eye, maybe a, a touch further back than that. I'm so glad that the two of you know what you're talking about, because until you started talking about teeth, it was all over my head. But you sound so interested in what you're talking about, <laughs> and I love it. Kukri says, like, their, <laughs> their teeth are shaped like a kukri blade, which is, like, curved. Okay. And it's like a, but they Like, they the out. teeth part, I totally get. The whole retractable, the muscles, but everything before that, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Okay. So they, they have... <laughs> The kukri snakes, like like James said, they're they're named after the kukri dagger, which their teeth are shaped like. They have that is so a, crazy. They have a trio of enlarged teeth towards the rear of their mouth. Um, these teeth are specialized dentition used for opening eggs. Um, they are so that's what they eat. Obviously, they, it, eggs make up a very large part of their diet. Um, they open their jaw and then they use their teeth and their jaw to cantilever and basically open the egg like a can opener. You know, like one of your old, you know, cool. those old school can openers. That's what we have at our house. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're scratching it along and they use that to, to cut into eggs. Um, and 
the, there is debate on whether or not they are actually rear-fanged with a, venom, a venomoid gland, or not venomoid, a venomous gland, which is the Duveroy's gland in rear-fanged snakes, or if it's just specialized dentition. And so is that you know, what you're wanting to look for? That's what I'm going to look for, you know, when I finally get around to dissecting the head and face of the one that I had that passed, is to take a look and see if I can find the Duveroy's gland and the musculature that most rear fang snakes have that applies pressure to that gland to force their venomous compounds out. Now, for people that are listening that don't know who you are, that aren't in this hobby and worship you and your baking skills, like my husband and so many of his friends, um, this is all stuff that you have access to through work, right? No, like, this is, this is just thing. like on your kitchen table type thing? Well, I don't do it on my kitchen table. No, I do it. <laughs> I do it outside on the spare patio table. Um, but I mean, I... I have my own dissection kit that I have had for 30 odd years because so crazy. You know, I like, I like dissecting things. You know, I've, I've always been in, you know, in, in high school, I took AP bio and we, one of the, op, one of the things we had was to dissect a shark and that's cool. The, my lab partner decided to drop the class when we were dissecting sharks. So I got the whole shark to myself. I always chose the person when they said, all right, we're going to dissect. I'd look for the one person who didn't want to touch it at all. And I was like, you're my partner. I found I had two guys that got really queasy very easily. So our table was set up at a window and they did all the paperwork. So I got to do all the hands-on. It was pretty awesome. That's that's what I like to do. I like to carve it out. And like with the shark, it was a ton of fun. And the part that I liked the most was having to carve up the head and stuff because they've got those, those nerve endings that go down into their lips yeah. The, uh, oh, what is it called? The, the chemosensory perceptive things. I can't remember the name of them off the top of my it's, head either. It's something of, it's the something of something. Uh, my, my brain's on. Shark Week wasn't that long ago. My brain can't, can't think back that far. Um, but I, I dissected mine out so well that I could actually see the nerves running down along That's like awesome. that. So, you know, that's, that's always been just a fun thing for me is dissecting things out. And I so can see, I could see James and our child. I love dissection in the backyard one day. I've gotten to dissect <laughs> a lot of stuff between high school and college. I, my favorites were, I got to do a cat, which is okay. It's what it is what it is. But the, the pig, I, the fetal pig, I found to be one of the coolest things. Cause like you get to like the heart and it's basically a human heart. It looks like a human heart shaped like a human heart. It's just miniature and in, inside of a pig instead of a human, uh, which I always thought was really cool. And the worst thing I ever had to dissect was a freaking earthworm. That's the yeah, worst the thing on earth. Um, starfish, starfish were rough. It's gotta be gooey. Well, no, they're so hard. Oh, really? They've got so much calcium in them that yeah. trying trying to just cut through to be able to get into the next layer. If you screw up slightly, you end up just destroying everything. Um, I wasn't as big a fan of the pig, mostly because like. I liked seeing differences in the organs and stuff. So that's why I like, I like the frog. Frog um, was fun. Cause my teacher was like, all right, you get bonus points. If you can tell me it's male or female. And we opened it up and there were eggs. I was like, we got a female. It was the easy. Nobody else could get there. So I was like, this is super easy. There's a pile of eggs inside here. Um, yeah. You know, and the snake was really interesting. Cause you know, they're laid out just totally different than anything else because of their their body shape so you know they've only got one lung but that thing is just 
I it's would, bizarre. It's not like this long tube thing. It's like this weird flat honeycomb sack that's stuck all across their back. And if you look at it, you're like, you're sitting there wondering what the hell it is you're looking at until you all of a sudden realize what it is. And then their liver is just this huge weird thing and their kidneys are bizarre and they're offset from each other where one's way up and one's way down. And it's all just really interesting stuff. I may have to next time, hopefully it's not for a while, but next time I lose one of my bigger snakes, I may have to, to dice. I've never done it. And I've always wanted to dissect a snake. I just, I've never done it. Um, but I've, I've always, you know, I've seen pictures. I'd like to see the lung. You know, I'd like to see the giant lung and then the itty bitty, you know, non-existent lung. And so that would be fun. All right. Let me try and get back to this. We'll get away from the slicing open animals. Uh, <laughs> Jason, that people want to keep. <laughs> Jason said false water cobra. He like a false water cobra. Says they're cool looking and I don't have the balls for hots, but I could handle lukewarms. That's kind of my issue with like a false water cobra is, I don't want those things get big. I didn't realize how big they get, but that's a big snake, a big, you know, mildly venomous snake. Yeah. And I don't know if mildly venomous is fully accurate. I was listening to, uh, to Zach on THP and it sounds like, you know, the, the, the lukewarm is more the people who get the snake off fast enough. But if you don't get the snake off fast enough, you're, you're not, I'm not saying you're looking at like, you know, a full on rattlesnake or copperhead bite, but you're still looking at something that can be pretty sizably damaging. Yeah. Or I've, maybe part of it is because you're being bitten by a nine foot snake. And so you're getting, you know, your hand crushed at the same time that it's pumping these venomous compounds into you. So it's, it's a, that's a big snake. Uh, Scott Iper said, I'm going to try this. Here we go. Dendrolaphus. Caligastra, northern tree snake, which looks really cool. Another one of those like Asian tree snake. Looks like it's really fast, and I wouldn't be able to hold on to it. Uh, Mike Cameron said he just picked up a pair of Bairds, which I'm sure probably happened because Justin told everybody how great Bairds are, and so everybody now has to get Bairds rat snakes because of Justin. Uh. Ryan Cox had an Eastern hog nose, which could be cool. Which again, I think is an under underrated venom by most people. You know, it it's not a bee sting. Quit telling people it's a bee sting. It's 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 a venom. It's just not like it's not a rattlesnake. But I mean, I've seen some bad hog nose bites. Uh Oh, this one's cool. So Christopher Osborne said a super clean, normal Honduran milk snake. I feel like Honduran milk snakes have really like disappeared from being one of the, they, they used to be very popular in the hobby and you don't see Honduran milks as much anymore. Yeah, they seem to have faded out a little. Which is weird because they're a decent size, really pretty snake. I mean, they get four to five foot and pretty thick. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty, I mean, they're, Basically, an adult kings, an adult king snake looking animal. Yeah, and bright. I mean, you get them with the right ones; they are bright, bright colors. Yeah, bright red and you know black. And then there's orangey. The like there's the weird anery ones, which have that gray and white and black, and mm-hmm. look really cool. Uh, Cass Bryant said, "Coach whips." And I can tell you why you don't see coach whips, just because they don't like to be in captivity. No, they, they, they ape shit, and they they can't handle it. They beat themselves up. Yeah, I I would love 
if Coach Woods were better able to handle captivity to have one of those bright pink red westerns. Oh, the westerns? Oh, yeah. Those things are absolutely beautiful. Someone sent me a picture um, the other day on Facebook of a western that someone had posted that was just insanely pink. Uh, I can can guarantee you the picture is going to do them justice. And I can guarantee you that because – so in college, I worked three years as a raft guide. And on one of our overnight trips, a coach whip got into camp and – for reasons that I still don't fully understand, decided to try and eat this slider, that plastic slider clip on a stuff sack for a sleeping bag (laughs) and and panicked and tried to take off. So watching a stuff sack just suddenly leave the camp and everybody realized it's a snake and they all ran away and I ran towards. And yeah, it it was one of those bright pink, red, and I mean, he was every inch a six foot and, you know, I brought him back into camp with the stuff sack. And I mean, once he calmed down enough for everybody to look at him, they were all just really, really enthused to see him. But he, he calmed down, but he never slowed down. He was, it was constantly just having to run your hands over him to keep him even close to motionless in your hands. Well, we have a version of here. Not going to work. I mean, you—that's almost like the you need half of a room type of thing just to handle them. Well, yeah, in the wild they cover a ton of a ton of area, but we have one. We have buttermilk racers down here, and I wish you keep them in captivity because they're amazing. They're, I mean, they're they're blue. They're insanely blue with white speckles all over them. They're super pretty, but it's I mean, it's it's basically a blue coach whip, and they they don't they don't want to hang out in the tank. They're not going to hang out in the glass tank. They're going to go crazy unfortunately yeah. uh a couple of people i've never heard of the snake until a couple of people here put it jason fix said it and miguel 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 via said it uh 100 flower rat snake which yes is have, awesome looking yes i have seen those before they are very interesting looking they almost have like a completely different head compared to their body yeah it's got this red head green background color and then like red to brown saddles, and then the tail is different. The tail is like this orange and red. Like it's it's like three different snakes in one. Yes, and their head is very strangely shaped. I mean, it's almost like a retic head or a scrub head. It's on, big on a a colubrid's body. It's very strange looking. The snake is gorgeous. That's a it's a really pretty snake. It's I mean, if anybody's ever look up hundred flower rat snake and. Uh, it's it's funny every now and then you see a picture of a snake and you wonder why is that not in the hobby more and this is one just like look at this picture like why is that not in the hobby more that seems like that'd be right up the alley of someone going i want a colorful snake and this is a colorful snake see i think they're another one of these come and go and because i remember seeing them uh, like early early 2000s now this is when i was still in georgia like i remember seeing them at repticons and stuff down there and then yeah all of a sudden they were just gone well and, i think and we're getting back like I, said, I think we're getting back to it you know there was the whole period of where if it didn't have a morph people didn't want it um and and they got thrown by the wayside unfortunately a lot of snakes did even some morphs i mean like we talking about hondurans hondurans had morphs but they didn't take off like you know, ball pythons and corn snakes and stuff. 
Well, because Hondurans take a little bit more effort. Yeah. So it's it's a shame, but like I, said, I think I think we're starting to see it more and more. We're starting to people they want something different. Um and so that's good, good and bad, because unfortunately a lot of importers will get in something different and a lot of people that want something different can't really take care of something different. Like, you know, maybe your first snake shouldn't be the different snake. Maybe it should be the more common thing. And so you figure out this whole taking care of a snake thing, uh, because some of these things coming out of the wild may take a little more attention to them to get them settled in and get them going. Yeah. And, you know, and as much as I, you know, early on, I said that I think some of these species are looked at as disposable. I'm not necessarily trashing when I say that either, because it's exactly like you said, it's, it's a lot better to cut your teeth on something like that. You know, yeah, pick up a corn snake with the understanding of if you screw up, it's a lot easier to get another corn snake. Well, yeah, and it is something that's that's harder to keep and harder to keep, you know, healthy, you know, don't go straight over to the importer's table and buy the import type of thing. And, you know, this, I guess this is sort of a broader conversation that I've had with other people. You know, you hear a lot of importers get trash talked about them because, you know, well, all they've got are imports and they've got these sickly animals that never make it. And that may be fair in some cases, but also part of what it is is the people buying those animals honestly shouldn't be buying animals for the level that you know from a table like that for the level that they're at. Don't don't just go and pick or die. Does it mean that that's the importer's fault? Right. You know, don't go don't go over to the importer's table and find something that looks really cool, but you don't know a damn thing about, and pick it up and go home, and then go on Facebook and say. Hey, I just bought this. How do I take care of it? That's that's the absolute worst way to go into picking up any of these kind of animals. You know, take the time to look into them ahead of time. You know, I remember when I saw the picture of the cuckoo snakes when uh, they first came up, and I thought that's incredible, and I want it. And then I went and I did a whole bunch of research before I picked them up, um, and. You know, I'm still learning stuff with them. You know, I was able to get them. And like I said, the, the first two imports that I had, one of them, I just lost her, but it was after three years. You know, and my other one's going strong. And I'm just now to a point where I'm going to start trying to breed them. And hopefully I'll be able to get myself a little captive population of them. But... I, I took the time ahead of time. I didn't just walk straight over to the table and see this thing and be like, hey, that's really cool and really different looking. I want to buy it and then go home and not know what I was dealing with. Well, and I, I think one problem with these species that we, we kind of labeled as, and again, we're not saying they're disposable. We're saying it's how they're looked at in general. I think that's another problem is they get talked about that way. Corn snakes, in all honesty, like, are a great beginner snake, especially at a year, a year old corn snake is probably the best beginner snake, but just with the fact that they come in the, now they come in any color you want, any color you can think of, you can find a corn snake. I've got one at home that is bright pink. Not like, uh, it's, we She's call like it pink. Barbie doll. She pink. is. Yeah. She is bright pink. And I wouldn't have bought her had the guy not had the adult there for me to see, but that's an awesome looking snake. And so I think, I think a lot of people are afraid to start out with, 
Uh, Something well, so small. Well, it's not that. I think they're afraid to start out with simpler snakes like corn snakes because they're going to be looked at as less of a keeper for having it. We, we put this kind of uh, value on these larger, more uh, exotic looking. Yeah. Like, you know, if you don't have a big jungle carpet python or this like expensive ball python or or if you're not trying to get some of these snakes that are harder to get then you're not really a keeper whereas that's not true i mean if you walk into a show and you see this pink corn snake and go that's really cool buy the pink corn snake i mean does it matter what anybody else says i want to breed my corn snake that i have in my classroom but i don't know that i want to deal with corn snake babies so i'm putting it off yeah i don't i don't (laughs) That's that's a whole other story. They're so tiny. <laughs> breed it just for the sake of breeding it, and then when you get the babies hatched out, just immediately stick them all in a deli cup and send them up to Joe and let Joe <laughs> deal with them. That's true. There we go. <laughs> so, but I think that's that's one problem in the hobby in general is that some people get into it, and and all of us that have have podcasts for the most part, a lot of us are keeping things that are more advanced, and so all they tend to hear us talk about are the more advanced things. Uh, I say us. I have I have samboas. That's not. I'm not gonna lie. That's not an advanced snake. Keep it. It's a great pet snake. But you know, if you listen to Morelia Python Radio, they're they're talking to advanced keepers. They're talking to guys who are keeping snakes that are definitely in the medium to more advanced keeper range. Um, cool. And they and they feel like when people, some people listen to that, they feel like, oh, that's what I've got to do instead of going where those guys started. I mean, they didn't start keeping them usually. No, they didn't. And if, you know, if you go back and that's the other thing, go back and listen to some of the early stuff. Listen to Eric and Owen in the early days and they talk about the stuff that they've kept early on and how they got started. Um, And, you know, even depending on your age and your maturity, I wouldn't say that a carpet python is a bad starter snake. No, depending on what it is. Again, it's your age and maturity. Like, I... If I did carpet pythons and I had a table set up and like a 12 year old came up to me and was like, this is going to be my first snake I wanted, I'd be real hesitant. Now, if he came up to me and he said, this is going to be my first snake I wanted, I've done all this research, this is what, you know, and I really had a chance to get to talk to the kid, I might change my mind. But, you know, that, that, that comes with age comes wisdom type of thing and a little bit of research into it, you know, that the carpet python is going to be a lot for a 12 year old to handle. But if you're, if you're starting out, you know, if you're 25 years old and you're getting your first snake and you want to get a carpet python, I might be a little bit more inclined to say, yeah, go ahead again, still do your research into it. But you know, when you're, when you're 25 years old, if the snake starts nipping at you, you're not going to freak out and be, traumatized by it it's not going to be a situation where i mean let's be honest when most you know 8 10 12 year old kids are buying a snake it's mom and dad who are buying a snake and are going to yes. be caring for this you know and mom and dad may not be as inclined to be you know mom and dad are sort of they're reluctantly buying the snake for the kid because they they want to encourage their kid's passion and that's a great thing but they don't have that same interest and if a little baby carpet python is nipping at them they're going to lose their tolerance for their child's interest real fast. So That's, I don't have April then, on here, but April just got uh, they just got a new snake. Her, the guy she's dating, his son wanted a snake, and they and they got him a ball python. 
Um, but I told him, I said the whole time when they were trying to figure out what to get, I was like, whatever it is, make sure the dad likes it. Cause it's going to be his snake. You know, that's, yeah. it's going to be the dad's snake. That's, that's how it works out. Like well, you said, she even said, you know, if, if the child ends up not liking it, I want something that could eventually come back to me that I'm going to like as well. Yeah. Cause she's, she's anticipating if the kid doesn't like it and the dad ends up not liking it, the snake's going to have to go somewhere and yeah. she's not, you know, just going to let him throw it out the window. Right. Which is very responsible. I think it is. It is. And it's, it's very responsible, you know, for her to, you know, be helping her boyfriend thinking along the lines of, look, if, if your kid loses interest or, or if the kid, you know, if the dad's having to take care of it, because, you know, let's face it, kids aren't always the greatest at taking care of their pets. It's something that the dad will have an interest in too. I mean, I thought, where- I thought kids and wives were supposed to just get pets and put and, them in their husband's room and, and, have to take care of and it? let their husband do it that all. Seems to be Isn't how that how that works? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way sometimes. All the time. (laughs) At my my house, all the time. I feed him, so it's okay. (laughs) But you don't feed the snakes. I don't. That's your job. Or clean up poop. Or change bedding. I've had lizards today. Or water. Way to go. You made one giant salad and then split it between two bowls. But I did it. You you didn't have to. Anyways. (laughs) Oh, all right. So... Let's look at some of the things that our listeners posted two weeks ago for us to talk about. We haven't talked about. Uh, I think I posted something on there. You did. You posted this one. There was a it was a famous snake species named after James Hetfield of Metallica. I thought that was cool. <laughs> it was uh, that was kind of cool. I've I've got to look it up. I know the the scientific name is Hetfieldi. I think. Uh, what's weird is like the picture that they have on the page is him and a cobra, like a king cobra, which is definitely not what they named after. He named him after. He was named after an African bush viper, which is nothing like a cobra, uh, but that's not what the picture has. But it is, venomous. It, they, they are venomous. That is that is the extent of where they That is Atheris hetfieldi. So it's one of those Atheris well, African bush vipers that look wicked with the killed faces. <coughs> but, uh, so that was cool. That was that was Katie's uh I contributed her contribution Ooh. to the podcast. I may not be caught up, but I contributed. It's not a may not be caught up. You're not caught up. I'm still on the round Did table you... episode with all the guys in April. Did you read the rest of the article though? No. Like there are a whole bunch like uh, Dave Mustaine from Megadeth has got a tarantula named after him. Oh, that's cool. Ozzy has a frog named after him. See, they should have named a bat uh, after him. Lenny had a prehistoric crocodile named after him. Henry Rollins has a fireworm named after him. I mean, apparently what I'm getting here is that that biologists really like to name stuff after their metalhead. This is what happens when metalheads get a PhD. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a spider that's named after... Dave Bowie. I love this one. Uh, they named a fungus gnat after Nightwish keyboardist. <laughs> like, like some of these guys got wait, like. Wait, wait, so go get, you, you get a snake. You get a frog. You get a fungus gnat. I think you're low on the list. I don't know if that's a like. I really like you. I named a fungus gnat after you. What do you want to look at? Oh no, I was. You you, you just sit there. Sit there and look pretty. <sighs> Uh, yeah, there's Dave Mustaine, Tarantula. That is cool. I still think Ozzy, they missed the opportunity. Next bat species needs to be named after him. Yeah, that that would be good. Pink Floyd got a damselfly. That's kind of a letdown. 
Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna quit reading these, or else I'm gonna spend all night just reading what things got na- named after people. So Schremer has a snail named after him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. A couple of things. Victor gave us a couple of videos. One I actually did. I did watch this week. Uh, Brian Barcheck posted why we cut snake eggs and who started it. I don't. Did you, did you see that video this week? I didn't. It. Uh, um, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not gonna it. lie. I'm not a big. I'm not, not a big Barcheck fan. I don't um, watch YouTube, so there we go. <laughs> I I watch it because I do this, and so that's one reason I watch it. I did. So he ends up talking to. Kevin over at Nerd, and Kevin says he was one of the first ones or the first one to cut eggs. And we've talked about it at ad nauseum on this podcast. I'm not in favor of egg cutting to the extent the way that some of these people cut eggs. Uh, I know April and I have talked about it. If you're cutting, if your eggs start to pip and you cut slits in your eggs and then walk away and wait for them to come out, I don't see an issue there. I have an issue with what I call finger fucking the egg when. And there's a certain person on YouTube who, and everybody knows who does it, cuts a giant hole in the egg and then just shoves his fingers in and rips the snake out. There's an issue there. Might not be ready. It might need to cook a little longer. Yeah, and they and they want to say it's for the good of this or that. It's impatience. And they can say it's not, but it's purely impatience. And I get it. I don't want this a snake to die, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. But if you cut a slit and it got out, it's fine. If you cut a slit and it didn't get out, it wasn't supposed to get out. Quit passing on crappy jeans. Yeah, and that's, you know, something that people in the hobby don't seem to understand is there is there are detrimental effects to the way we breed a lot of things, and that's the if you're doing all of these things to make the worst least strong snake survive, then you're just contributing bad genes to the captive population. Well, and I also feel like and this again could just be because i'm not a breeder i'm I'm just the wife but i've seen where james is like oh you don't want to eat okay i'm not going to force feed you you're either going to eat or you're going to die because he doesn't want to pass on those genetics and because he doesn't want to sell a snake to someone who's a trouble feeder and look feeding may not be a genetic thing but at the same time i know how nature works and i know that all right the snake in a lot of 24 babies naturally 24 aren't going to make it and and in captivity we we do tend to get those odds a lot better like i've had entire litters where no one died and that's great but if one or two of them aren't going to eat that's to me that's nature that that's how that works i'm not going to sit there and force feed them mouse tails or a gooey little pinky because i want to try and get a meal into them but i I don't feel like a lot of people feel the same way and i think that's where a lot of the cutting the eggs and and cutting the eggs is impatience and money grabbing and for people on youtube i don't it's for attention (laughs) i only watch youtube if i need to learn how to do something and and a couple people did it and now all these other people that got into the hobby after them who don't know much but they went i'm gonna get into breeding ball pythons or whatever it is but i'm gonna pick on ball python breeders they cut the eggs because the person on youtube cuts the eggs there's no fucking reason to do it other than you just wanted to see what's inside that egg instead of waiting to see what was inside that egg as Travis sits there and cuts eggs, I'm sure. Just kidding, Travis. So I, I the only time I will cut an egg is I wait for the animal to pip, and like I have had like snakes where they pip and they come out, and usually you like you'll open the tub 
and you'll see them pull their head back in, but every once in a while you'll get one where it's managed to cut the hole just big enough to like push its head out. And they're stuck. But then it can't pull back in. So then I'll like I'll get the scissors and I'll cut it a little bit enough just so that it can pull its head back in so that it can feel secure and it's not choking itself through this, uh, you know freaking this, out. But to me that's tiny hole. Put, that's but, that's not egg cutting. Like I get that you're cutting an egg, but that's not egg cutting. We all we all know we all know when someone about. says egg cutting, we all oh, picture the same thing. This giant window cut in there so they can go, Oh look, this one was born with this pattern or this one is this color. I'm like, you couldn't wait a day? Like a day to I don't know. I just And then like I said, then there's the certain ones who just really screw it up by shoving their fingers all up in there and start playing with it. But that bothers me. And that was one video. Uh, <laughs> like I said, Victor posted that. I did watch it. And look, it's, again, it is your snakes. It's your, you can do whatever you want. But I'm also going to voice my opinion when I think it's stupid. And feel free to voice your opinion when you think I'm stupid. I don't give a fuck either. So, so moving on. The world can't see my eye rolls. <laughs> uh, Victor also posted a <laughs> Victor also posted a video from Riley, our buddy Riley. On new snakes, Apador updates, and snake life hacks. There's new snakes, by the way. I'm jealous. So, if no one has noticed, I don't know how you haven't really talked about it on his new podcast episode and on his videos, and he's posted pictures, but he got Doomrolls Boas. And I'm upset that I haven't bought Doomrolls Boas in the last few years, because I was like, I've loved them. I got them years ago and had the only two bad ones ever, and I got rid of them, and I was like, I'll get them again at some point. Well, I should have, because at this point, they cost eight hundred dollars for a Doomrolls boa, which means I'm going to get a Mexican black king snake before that ever happens. No, you're not, because I'm not taking care of a Mexican black king snake. But because so. yeah, MBK finally came back down, I you know I think we're seeing the same boom and bust that we see we saw with the MBKs with the Doomrolls. Um, it just drives you know, me nuts. I've got a Doomrolls right now. Um, I inherited her from my sister when my sister moved to California and couldn't take her animals with her. Um, but I was with her in Colorado when she bought that snake and it was $200. I think mine were one twenty-five a piece when I bought, I watch well, I bought one and someone gave me another one cause it would, it couldn't stop biting them. And then mine also never ate, which is why I traded both of them away for corn snakes actually. But that was back in 2000. Oh shit. Uh, Adam, when we started dating, five then that was 2005 because I didn't have them for long. Mm-mm. But I've always loved them. I thought that they have the best, as far as camouflage goes, of any non solid colored snake. They have the best camouflage of any non colored snake out there. And you put them in leaf litter, they're gone. You can't see them. I mean, uh, they're, they're basically just uh, gaboon vipers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They've got that, that wonderful cryptic and I, camouflage. And- and since you say that, I, I guess it's important to bring up that that is James's favorite venomous snake, we'll get which that. could get, be why. We'll get to that in a minute. That's on another. He likes that. That's another video. So but but the Doom rolls, I wanted one, and I was like, you know, I've, I've been trying to have so many projects. I'm like, I need to spend money here, spend money there. I never expected them to reach six hundred fifty to eight hundred dollars a baby, and I know that it's a peak right now. It'll go back down, and craziness will subside. But that's just I, I listened to Riley's Riley's podcast this past. Uh, week when he let it out or whatever i listened to it yesterday but they talked about this whole thing and, and i agree with them I, maybe doom rolls at one point were too cheap i could go with that i could go with they belong a regular doom rolls could belong somewhere in the 200 to 300 range uh maybe maybe 400 and they also did say on their podcast uh, he and andy talked about you know when you're talking about breeders someone that has spent years 
perfecting or trying to perfect a certain species just for the color or pattern or whatever, they do, they should ask for more. So if you want to sell a Doomerals for 800 bucks, that's fine. If you're someone who's been breeding them for 15 years, 20 years, and and that is your thing. But if you're a person who picked up two random Doomerals on a table at a show with no background information whatsoever and then bred them in your house, that's not an $800 snake to me. You know, just because the asking price for some says eight hundred doesn't make yours eight hundred. But so that drives me nuts. My small soapbox on Doomers Boas. And then Riley's video also talks about snake life hacks. He did show a thing where he bought these uh little four packs of like plastic bowls from Target. And he just flipped them over, cut a little notch in them, and turned them into hides. And it was like four pack for two dollars. So he got four hides for two dollars total. Uh, it's just another thing where I think people need to, if you're if you're into snakes, and if you're not, well, I've I've got to have this huge naturalistic, and it's got to all look natural. If you're just like I want something functional, Walmart, Target, Lowe's, the Dollar Tree, those are your best friends on earth. Yeah. Uh, don't, if you, don't go to Petco or PetSmart because they're going to charge you. <laughs> five times as much for half the product. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you feel you need that thing that was made for reptiles, that it looks like, so go to a reptile show and buy from a vendor there, uh, who is a smaller reptile business support them. Plus you're gonna get it cheaper than you will at pet or pet smart. Um, so, so if you can make it to a show and you feel like you have to have that one vine that looks like this, it's made by Zilla or whoever it is. Go to a show and support a vendor at a show. Yeah, go to one of the Herps Reptile Shows in Texas, uh, Louisiana, now Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Colorado. Uh, I'm missing a state, Missouri. That's Tennessee. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, go to a Herps show. There's definitely vendors there, but that's my little uh, shameless plug. <laughs> Got to prom- promote this, the uh, the supporters yeah. of the show. Got to make money. Uh, so Ryan Cox posted a video and this is going to get back to the Gaboon Viper. Ryan Cox posted a video that was put up by Clint's Reptiles called Gaboon Viper, the best pet snake question mark. First off, reading the title and knowing Clint, you know, that's kind of facetious. Uh, he's obviously not saying Gaboon Vipers should be a pet snake for everyone. That's not what he says in the video, but he does talk about them as, as a pet snake. He goes to nerd. He's there with uh, Kevin. And, um, I do love Gaboon Vipers. As someone that has worked with Gaboon Vipers, um, I could see if you are a well-experienced keeper and have dealt with hots, Gaboons make a great hot pet. That does not mean they make a great pet for everyone. I know that's a lot of, that's confusion. Uh, but they are, they are good just in the simple fact that the care is fairly easy. Uh, they don't really move much. I'm not telling you to go and hold it. Don't ever hold it. If you, if you own hots, don't watch YouTube people. Okay. Those, that's the worst way. Actually, I do have a video here that does to show you how to deal with hots, but don't watch most YouTube people. You're not supposed to go hold your Kaboom Viper like it's a ball python, but it is not like a, an Alapid or a Cobra, you know, Cobra that's going to come at you. Kaboons just kind of sit there and as long as you don't fuck with them, they don't fuck with you. And that's kind of how they work. Uh, so watch that video. It was good. Don't let the title fool you. Clint's not saying everyone should go out and buy a Gaboon Viper. That is not what he's saying. Um, but I, I do love Gaboon Vipers. That is my favorite, like my favorite snake on earth. And I will have one at some point. Uh, Katie's just going to have to deal with it. 
just go out and buy a Doom Rolls and set it up in the same type of cage. And there you go. You won't have to worry about it because if in the un, you know unfortunate event that it does decide to turn around and bite your hand because you're being stupid, you don't have to worry about dying. Yes. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge that he just said in a moment where James could possibly be acting stupid? No, no, no. He's talking to the public. So He's beautiful. talking to the general public. To the public. I'm no, saying, Travis. No, Travis. Give me this. Let me have this moment. It was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> right. If James is going to be stupid. <laughs> It's never going to happen because it's not coming in the house. Oh, it's going in the house. Like, I might have almost talked into it. There's a guy that does the the Herbs Reptile shows. I, almost, I was just about to say that this makes is the, the first the first thing that I have seen where I'm like the this venom could proof be a cages. The venom proof cages we have consider this. Well, they have built in shift boxes in there, um, and tons of windows and doors, and like it's basically a hundred percent hands off. It is. It is a beautiful setup. It's it's very appeasing to look well, like, at and it's got lockouts and all this stuff to keep you safe that's how you should if anybody wants to keep these things that's how you should keep them uh and and kaboons like i said i've I've, dealt, I've handled them before i've dealt with them as well as a zookeeper i think it's an amazing thing now i will say if you are early in your hot keeping a gaboon's not the way to go because your hospital most likely does not have gaboon anti-venom on hand no. um and so that's one thing to think of, which I've always said, if you want to get into hot keeping and, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying everybody should go out and buy a hot, don't listen to this and go, he said, I should get this. I've always said copperheads are the best way to go because if you live in the United States, they've got anti-venom and I think only one person's ever died. And that was like last year, the year before. And that was from like anaphylactic shock from being allergic to them. Which is crazy. I mean, I mean, that, they didn't necessarily die from the venom as yeah, it could have been a, it could have been someone allergic to a bee sting, same type of yeah. thing. It's not, I'm not saying they're the same venom, I'm just saying it's the same kind of, kind of death. So, but I know, do you have, do you have any want to own venomous other outside of your like mildly venomous you stuff? Beak snakes? I have beak snakes, yes. See, um, I listened to his episode. <laughs> Oh goodness! <laughs> Anyways, so do you want to own anything else? Anything hotter? I guess. I I don't. Um, I mean, there are some beautiful ones out there, but you know, I look at it as you know, well, like I just alluded to. You know, if I want something that's got fantastic cryptic camouflage and can blend into the leaf litter, I've got a doom rolls. Yeah, I can, I can I can build a really awesome naturalistic setup for the Doomerals, and to the untrained eye, and even to the partially trained eye, people would look in there and probably think, "Holy crap, that's a gaboon!" And then you know, do a double take and be like, "No, that's not a gaboon. That's something else entirely." And I don't have to worry about it. You know, if I can do that. And not have to. You're content worry about, with doing that. Yeah, I, I will say, dying, then that's what I want to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, rather not die. I will say Plus, the I only thing it. he's ever wanted is a gaboon, and it wasn't until he wasn't working with them at the zoo anymore that it became something that gets brought up on a regular basis well, it's not the only thing it's it's one of, i also would love it just a big eastern diamondback rattlesnake i think those are amazing look a big seven foot female eastern diamondback we used to have one again when i worked at the zoo and i thought just it's one of those snakes that when you look at it it's you know it's america in a snake that's what you, you picture big old female eastern diamondback uh, when i think of the southeast 
And see, I hear that, and I can agree with you on the looks and appearance and everything of it, but the idea of having that in my house gives me the screaming heebies. <laughs> and I, I mean, I've got a Neodesha, you know, the old school Neodesha where you can slide the lock right through the glass and yeah. the side and close it up. And even then, it's like I... If I have a reason to be locking something inside of the box, I have no reason to be keeping that animal. And that's just my mentality. If you want to do that, I totally I, get that. Empower people who, who want to do that, as long as they're being smart about it, I don't have a problem with it. But there, I mean, I see so many stupid, stupid people. Oh, yeah. And it just, it worries me for the repercussions that it'll have on our hobby because. You know, for every one person out there that is keeping right and doing it the right way, where, you know, if you saw how venomous should really be done, it's probably the most boring thing in the world because there is no, you know, no point in time where you should have that snake anywhere near your hands, your feet, your face, your whatever. Well, that leads into my very next video. Because Scott Iper posted a video uh, where he was moving around venomous snakes and changing out venomous snake stuff, um, and it's a very boring video. Like it's not, it's not, he's not holding it by the the tail and the other part up near the neck and holding it towards the camera. It's a hook into a bucket, close the bucket, clean the cage, put it back with a hook. Like it's the way venomous keeping should. Be. It should be super boring. Like, it should be yes, and you know, I guess I mean. Scott's awesome. Scott is a wonderful keeper. He is a wonderful source of knowledge. But, you know, Scott put that video out, and I guarantee you, you look at Scott's video, and it's going to have a handful of views compared oh, yeah. to you know, that moron that's pulling a baby cobra out of the egg well, and a baby cobra flaring up straight out of the egg in his hand. And it's like, why would you do something so well, stupid? And it's, it's the hairdryer rule. On the hairdryer, it says, do not use in the bathtub because some moron did it. So they have to put it on the warning label. Yeah, there's stupid and, people. And the problem is stupid people are too stupid to know they're stupid. everyone else. And so they watch that idiot that does the key We're cobra. all educators. We all know this is true. <laughs> well, they watch that video where the guy took the king cobra out of an egg and go, oh, look, I can do that. I'm like, no, you can't. Okay. Or shouldn't. Those are, those, yeah, you not, not only can you not, I mean, sure, you can, but you should not. You should not do that because for the love of God, that is just dumb. And that, you know, rewinding a little bit to, you know, when James said your hospital probably isn't going to have Gaboon anti-venom. If you are keeping hots, personal opinion here, I think you need to go out of your way to acquire your own anti-venom. Because if you are willing to take that kind of risk, you need to be willing to contribute to your own recovery in that matter as well. You shouldn't oh, be. I agree. You shouldn't be. Burdening, you know, you shouldn't be burdening zoos who have a need for it, or you know, like the Kentucky Reptile Zoo. You know, they actually are doing the milking and stuff, so they have the need, and they they're getting their own. You know, and toxins. Those guys, they've got their own antivenins. They shouldn't be responsible for saving you because you are cavalier enough to pick up this animal, but you are not mature enough to pick up 
the anti-venom for the animal that you have. Well, and people go, people will not want to buy it because it has an expiration date. Well, tough shit. That's insurance. It's like by paying your insurance and going, but I didn't have an accident this year. Well, tough. You still pay for it. You know, you may not get bit and it may it go past the expiration date. You may have to throw it out. That's how that works. Like that's, it is what it is. You know, it, like I said, it's, I think it's a mark of maturity and that's, that's the thing we don't see with a lot of venomous keepers is that mark of maturity of, you know, if you can keep a venomous reptile and you can do it the right way, like, you know, again, Scott, yeah, it should be boring as hell. And quite frankly, I have more respect for Scott because that video is boring as hell because it's not all because Scott's doing the right thing. There should be nothing about keeping and caring for your venomous that should elucidate a, a thrill response in you. Right. And that's, that's one of the biggest things with that, that cage that he was talking about when I saw it, I was actually walking around the show and I saw the cage and I got them to show me how the cage works before I ever told him, hey, you should go check out this cage. Because it was the first time that I had seen something where the worry or the fear or the adrenaline that it could have caused from having to handle a, well, a venomous snake, that whole cage's it, point, it was all gone. The whole cage's point is to never have to lay hands on your venomous snake, which you should never have to lay hands on your venomous snake. Like it's There's too many ways – to keep you from having to do that, if you if you're having to hold a venomous snake, you you chose to, and it's a bad decision. Um, but yeah, so I, I like Scott's video. I, I would gladly, you or I would gladly watch that video, watch him do that, and then take the camera after he closes it up in the cage and put it through the glass and look at the snake through the glass, and we'd be happy with that video. Unfortunately, um, the general public wants the video where the dumbass in Florida grabs King Cobra. And waves it around in front of the camera and laughs and talks and waves his hands around while he does that shit. And that's what they want to see. And unfortunately, that's what everyone see ends up seeing. And it does not help us in the slightest. Um, but Scott's video is great. Scott's the one when, so, when someone goes, well, we should be allowed to keep venomous snakes. And if someone references, you know, the other videos, pull out Scott's video. And goes, no, this is how we're doing it. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. When people say we should we should be able to keep venomous snakes, my answer would be if you're keeping them like Scott, I don't have a problem. Yes. Right. But if you're keeping them like 80% of the other people out there, or let me rephrase that. If you're keeping them like 80% of the people putting videos out there, <laughs> there you I'm, go. I'm sure that there are, are dozens upon dozens of other hot keepers who are just like Scott. And they keep them the proper way. And because they know that their videos aren't going to get all these likes – and because they're not in it for the glory and the fame and the looking cool, they're not posting up videos like that. Well, you, if at and any point you go buy a hot snake and your thought is, I can't wait to show other people this snake, or I'm going to look so cool with this snake, or this is going then you don't need to buy the hot snake. If you're buying the hot snake going, I can't wait to walk in and look at this snake, then you're probably the one that should buy it. Because that's all I'd want. I'd want to be able to walk in and go, that's, what, that's mine. I have that. That's I don't- why I want an axolotl. I just want to look at it. That's drastically different. But I know okay. it is, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Way to jump right off the rails there. Your weird little don't, alien. Don't. I like the little alien looking animals. She wants to have her little endangered Mexican I like them. tiger salamander larva, and she can have it. It's too hot here. <laughs> they are. They I can't are have them here. 
entirely illegal in Virginia. Explain that oh, to me. Oh, wow. That's because y'all are like the hotbed for salamanders. Oh, the hellbenders are up there. Well, up there in Texas, in Tennessee. The, yeah. That's like the salamander like capital of the world. That whole area has got an yeah, insane amount. Yes. I, no, I think the, the axolotl has to do with the – they're out of Mexico and Mexican wildlife is – you know, it's like it's sighty stuff. So, well, see, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of those sort of backwards things of you know every literally every axolotl in the hobby is the product of a lab animal. Well, axolotls like, came out of the lab because they were they're highly used in developmental biology labs. Oh yeah, and somebody you know was interning or whatever in a lab and they wanted to take some home. They were given some, they took them home, they bred them, they passed them out. And now they're in the hobby. That's why we've got the glowing green ones. Um, you know, it, they are all captive bred from captive stock, from laboratory stock. They are in no way, shape or form threatening the wild population. Yeah. Go find but, me one. That's one thing. Go find me one in the wild. Right, that's because the that wild population is so threatened have been written to protect the wild population that have gone a little bit overly far to the crazy end of things. The wild population that pretty much doesn't exist anymore. Like, and it probably won't. Give it 10 more years, won't exist anymore. Unfortunately. Speaking of laws, do we want to discuss... We're not there yet. Uh, well, I didn't know. You, you nothing else written on your I head. have stuff. In my, you, we haven't gotten to all of his baking questions. Oh, my goodness. You can hit notes in his head. <laughs> so let me jump. Okay. I mean, so, I'm allowed shush. to be all over the place. It's plastic. But he's got to stay on top. So uh, I did ask. I knew we were having you on. And I posted a question earlier today. And I got a ton of responses already. Uh, so, so we're recording tonight with our buddy Travis Wyman. Uh, do you have any reptile, genetics, or baking-related questions? Because... People really love that Travis bakes. I don't – I mean, I do too. I mean, I, I say I do. I, I want the stuff he bakes. I – well, it, there were no bake cookies, but I made cookies the other day. Those for were the good. first time in forever. So we'll get to your question in a second, but I want to look at a couple of questions. Uh, uh, so some of these questions obviously uh, don't really require an answer, but I'll read them anyways. Uh, Brandon Millichamp said, can I get a snake cake asking for myself no brandon you're in canada he's not shipping to you get over yourself yeah i i, I don't think you can ship c cakes to canada very easily <laughs> Bill at least not cheap if, if uh, i mean if he wants if he wants to pay for it james i'm has, more than happy to make him a snake cake james had a snake cake i did my uh groom's cake at our wedding was a snake cake it was uh it was a snake wrapped around a cake and it came up through the top where it was grass and the head sat up there it was a boa it was a I'll retail boa find a picture of it and post it uh, that's why it was that's a chocolate. Cool. It was a chocolate groom's cool cake. cake. It was cool. I have to find that. Um, and then Bill Bradley says, "Ever made Kringla?" I, I I've heard I of that. I had never even heard of Kringla, but I looked it up. What is it? And it's sort of like a Swedish pretzel cookie type thing. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, it, 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 like it, it sounded really fun. It looked really fun, and I was like, I think I'm gonna have to make these. So, Ooh. Bill. Um, not next week because I believe next week I've got a coworker's birthday and I always give coworkers with birthdays right of first refusal. But the week following I think is open, so I may make Kringlin the week following. The old Kringle week. I make um, chocolate oatmeal no bake cookies. I do love chocolate oatmeal no bake cookies. They were my grandmother's recipe. They turned out pretty good. Those are some of the best cookies. Uh, Brian Hayes said <laughs> this was another one. 
Can he believe that it is indeed not butter? And if you're older, if you're younger than like, or yeah, if you're probably 20 or younger, you probably don't get that at all. Cause I don't even know those commercials even come out anymore. I can't believe it's not butter commercials, but, but it was a good, it was a good one. And I laughed. There was shut up, Brian. So <laughs> Scott Hyper said, what are the, t- this, this is a non-baking one. This is a good one. Actually. What are the top five genetics falsehoods used in the reptile hobby, i.e. codon, which kind of hit on before. So what do you think are the five genetics falsehoods, things that we could throw around? I think codon to me would be number one, but I'm not the geneticist. Codon would definitely be one of them. In fact, if you'll notice that he edited it. I read it when he first had it. It just said the the top five, and then he added, i.e. codon. That was the first one that popped in my head as well. We'll have to talk about codon. Um, codon is horribly, horribly abused in the hobby. What? What we call codom is actually incomplete dominant. It's there are to date no codominantly expressed mutations in the hobby. Um, it's it's just a matter of terminology of the people who early in the hobby they remembered their little bit of genetics from high school and it wasn't properly taught there either because the example that they use is a bad one and so having to remember this improper so what's the bad example that you because I'm, I'm a teacher and I, and I may use it so what's the bad example it's the red and white flower making a pink flower see that's always incomplete for me and I have seen some textbooks recently that have been doing it that way, but you know, back 25, 30 odd years ago, speaking as an oldster, that was taught as co-dominant. See, I use, I use roan cattle for co-dominant, uh, you know, red to white gives you a red and white, uh, offspring. That would be yeah, and, right? and that's, that's on a microscopic level. If you look at the, if you look at the hairs, they are alternately banded red and white. Um, but that also could be an incomplete dominant because you're well, don't crush your whole world, damn it! I'm not crushing your whole world. <laughs> <laughs> While you crush his world, I'm looking for the snake cake pictures, which is in our wedding album. So I'm like all Going happy over, over here. We're, we're talking happy over there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best example of codom really is blood types in humans. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the easiest one to understand, I think, because you've got type O blood, which is recessive, type A blood, which is dominant, and you can have AO or AA, and both of those look like A. And then you have BO or BB, and both of those look like B. B and A are just dominant expressed genes when they are combined together and you get AB, both of them are being expressed at the same time, but codominance is the relationship between them. It is not a mode of inheritance. You don't inherit the B gene as a codominant gene. You inherit the B gene as a dominant gene. Got it. They're both dominant genes, therefore codominant. Right. They're codominant because the relationship between them is co it's cooperative basically it's a cooperatively dominant expression but you don't inherit them codominantly you inherit them dominantly 
Yeah, so it's they have equal dominance at the same time. Whereas, like, uh, I, I always, you know, when I came into the hobby, hypomelanistic boas were called co-dominant. Uh, you know, less melanin in the red shows up more, and it's it's, but it's not. That's incomplete, right? Right, because you have less melanin being expressed with just one copy of the gene, and then two copies of the gene, you have a extreme reduction in melanin. Okay. So incomplete, incomplete dominance, yeah. co-dominance. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry. I didn't know it was going to blow up your... But Jesus Christ, Katie. It's not me. It, she can blow you up. It's fine. Whoa. Hey. That's, <laughs> it's fake. Hey, 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 hey. So, anyways, co-dominance, incomplete dominance, that's one big genetics falsehood. Is there anything else that you think is is missing or um, falsehood? The, the, the myth of the hidden gene. Okay? There's no such thing as a hidden gene. But it's, ball pythons have hidden genes. I've seen it on YouTube. Yeah. There's no <laughs> such thing as a hidden gene. Um, the... The... the idea that you can breed away some of the negative secondary phenotypes associated with mutations. So like neuro and jag yeah. or neuro and spider, you know, if, if you just breed it to something else or a couple of something else's, then, then the neuro goes away. I mean, no, the neuro is 100% associated with that, that morphology gene, you know, all jags are neuro. They may not be, equally neuro but all jags are neuro you can't breed and breed and breed and breed and suddenly end up with a non-neuro jag because it has the jag gene you know it's 100 inherent to the mutation um let's say that's three i, I think for that one most most breeders and most people have finally come to terms with that for the most point especially carpet people with the jag jag gene i think most of them have realized i was going to say it depends on which end of the hobby you're talking about that's true Carpet readers, I agree. I think all of them have come to accept that JAG are neuro, and that's just the way it is. Um, ball, the ball python side of the hobby is, I mean, I still to this day get people tell me I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to that. Um, in the same vein, you know, the carpet python side of the hobby has embraced the fact that Jag is an incomplete dominant, and the super form is a dead snake. Yeah, it's lethal. You get a dead white snake. Enjoy your dead white snake. Yes. Um, the ball python side of the hobby, I, I still have people tell me I don't know what I'm talking about when I say that the super spider is a dead snake. It's a lethal homozygous animal. And like there are people who tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, they, they're like, you know, prove that it's a dead snake well i can't prove a negative but i can prove i can prove the fact that like there are a couple of clutches that have happened where somebody hatches you know they breed a spider to a spider and they get this one you know little white dead thing that makes it out and it's rare because it's so lethal that most of the time the eggs don't even develop well here's my proof go to a reptile show buy a super spider go go i'll wait Someone yeah. will buy one. 
Yeah. And you'll never, you'll never see it. Um, you know, but then people are like, you know, then they try and do this mystic hand waving thing where one copy is something and the two copy never happens for some reason, but they can't tell you what that some reason is, but it's not lethal. And do you think the driving factor for their refusal to believe that is that they, they just simply don't want it to be true. Like somewhere in their head, they've got to know it's true. In some respects, I think it is. In some respects, I think it's just they have clung to the idea that a super spider is a thing for so long that they just don't want to admit now that they were wrong. And there's nothing wrong with admitting you were wrong when you learn more. And like the, the super spider thing, it drives me nuts. I want that like, on a t-shirt. There's nothing wrong with admitting you were wrong if you learn more. I'm totally yes. putting that and, on the t-shirt. And so many people don't seem to understand that. But like, you know, you, you, you point out that there have been clutches with super spiders, that they're just these dead white snakes. And like they, people go through all these convoluted twisted, well, that could happen for anything. And you see that in other cases. And that's not necessarily a super spider, but like, I remember when Harlan wall hatched the super champagnes, mm. he got two white snakes. They hatched out. And within three days, both of them were dead. And he's like, this is the super champagne. It died. And everybody went, you're right. It's a dead white snake. And nobody argued with him. And nobody tried to make all these excuses up. But then you use that exact same outcome with the super spider. And people just tie themselves in knots to try and explain it away. And it's like, you're looking at the same thing here. And very likely, you are looking at alleles. Um, there's, There's... some breedings that have shown that the champagne may be a lelic to spider. And it's, you can't get people to understand or admit it's, it's a white snake and it dies. Well, look, you know, I'm, hidden gene, same I'm thing. Hidden gene get, has been shown to be a to spider. You I'm, hatch out the pearl. I'm not trying to get political here, but it's like, look at, look at how people react to science now with like COVID. Yeah, it's very yeah. much like you start to watch people just ignore science. And I'm like, stop ignoring science like science is science y- y'all can make up whatever you want but when a scientist did did a study and this is what comes out this is what happened like they didn't unfortunately the problem is a lot of stuff now gets skewed one way or the other but uh, I, I always tell a lot of people right now with, the, uh, with this whole process is that people are not used to watching the scientific method as it happens in real time and, no, and they're not. it's melting their brains it is um, and I think I also think part of it is people take it the wrong way. Like, you know, if people say that the super spider is lethal, then they're in the camp that's saying spiders are horrible gene and we yeah. should ban it. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, I don't I've got one spider in my collection. I don't want to have it in my collection. I've been trying to sell it off because spiders just not for me. Yeah, I had one. Gen- do, I think, do I think other people shouldn't be able to keep spider? I don't care if you like spider get all the spiders you want. It's just not a gene that I want to work with. And that's my personal choice. If you like spiders, get them. If you like jags, get them. If you don't like them, don't. But using the, they're defective and they're suffering and no, no, that's, there are defects with almost every single mutation you have out there. I don't want to hear the, they're mutants, so you shouldn't keep them because Unless you're keeping only wild type ball pythons, you're a hypocrite. And then I will take it further to, you know, if you keep any type of pure breed dog, you're a hypocrite because every type of pure breed dog has got something 
genetically associated with it in some form or other that is detrimental. You know, labs and German shepherds have hip dysplasia. Uh, Australian cattle dogs have progressive renal. Look, all you got to say is English bulldogs. Just stop it. English bulldogs. bulldogs. That's I love English bulldogs, but that is a dumbass dog. Oh my gosh. You know, English bulldogs, uh, French bulldogs, Boston Terriers. I've got a Chihuahua. You know, like Chihuahuas now, more than half of them have to be delivered by cesarean section because their their giant apple heads are too big to get through the birth canal. Yeah, and there's now, there's nothing natural about that because Chihuahuas aren't big by nature. <laughs> but what dogs do you see out in the wild getting cesarean sections? <laughs> well, you you're not there. You don't know. It can happen. Exactly. <laughs> It happens all the time. You're just if you know if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a noise? You're just not there, Travis. Hey, just, we I'm heard them fall in the forest during the hurricane. <laughs> they, they made a noise. It was daylight and it was hot, and we didn't have power, so we opened the windows and we could hear the trees falling in the woods. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, I think a lot of times they they don't want to accept it because that person went out and spent however much on a spider ball python. Like it, if they accept that all you're going to really able to be able to produce is spiders and they're going to be a little wobbly that that it makes them seem bad for wanting to produce that i don't think you're bad for wanting to produce that just know that it's a possibility i'm not a possibility it's going to happen that's what it is same with jags you're not going to produce a non-wobbly jag and if you breed two spiders or two jags together you are going to end up with smaller clutch sizes because some portion of them are going to die because they are the homozygous version and as long as you accept that that's what you're doing, I don't care. I agree. Any other falsehoods you can think of off the top of your head? Because um, those are the ones that kind of came to my head when I thought, yeah, that's the one thing in genetics. The only other one that I hear is like that you can you can make mutations happen by like just like if you let fungus infect your eggs or, you know, if you intentionally uh, temp- do incubator spikes, yeah. they Which, make uh, the mutation happen and they carry on. And that's, that's Lamarckian genetics. And we know that Lamarckian <laughs> genetics does not work. Um, oh, Lamarck. You know, those are arguments that I have had to have with people and they can get frustrating, you know, being told that like the first, I think it was like somebody told me the first palmetto corn hatched out of an egg that had fungus on it. And it was because the fungal genes incorporated into the That's snake not, in the egg. Are you serious? And I, I, I don't, I remember hearing that somewhere, somewhere. And I was like, that, that's not how it would happen. Because, so, like, that's right first up there. Off, the, fungus, the gene would have to insert into every single cell of that snake's body simultaneously. You stop with your and science, you know, sir. Going to happen. I had people when I worked at the zoo that when I was pregnant with our daughter, they would they were like, "Oh, I can't believe you're handling a snake. It's going to try to attack you for your breast milk." And I was like, "Uh, that's not how this works." But thank you for your that's concern for my snake. Exactly why they're called and milk that's snakes. That's what they believed. I'm like, mm, I, no, I, I I love no. like there's always those things that when someone tells you and they firmly believe it, and they tell you, I mean, and you're like, "That's not how 100% this works." Hundred <laughs> percent conviction. They believe the words coming out of their mouth. It's, no, what's well, you know. It, I have heard the one with temperature changes and, and I know that in some snakes it can really 
uh be funky with like the pattern some of the pattern on the snake but that's yes, not genetic can, that's not passing no. on right it happens in that snake because when you change the temperature you're changing the rate at which things are happening for that embryo but the the pattern changing the genes that regulate pattern change or pattern the way pattern is laid down are completely separate from the genes that regulate the formation of the gametes in that animal. And they're active at completely different times. In fact, most of the gametes aren't undergoing any changes until many years after the animal leaves the egg. So spiking the temperature, yeah, it could change the look of the animal that you have, but it's not going to change the genes in the testes or the ovaries of that animal such that all of them are changed to pass that genetic trait on. Well, I have to explain that to like students when talk biology and talk, well, if someone has this, why can't they just go in and change that? I was like, cause you understand if they have this issue, whatever it may be, that's genetic. It's in every single cell of their body. It's in their hair cells, their skin cells, their liver cells. You can't change all those cells and get rid of it. It's, it's there. That's how that works. It's, it's, it's kind of like the old, like, Oh, I wish I could clone myself. Well, not really. Cause it doesn't work the way you think it does. Uh, you don't get a new you. You get a baby, and then you have to raise a baby who's not you. It's like, your twin. It, yeah. Born genetically, twin. it's yeah. Like it doesn't grow up to be you and talk like you and have your thoughts. It's not. Stop watching movies. That's not how that works. So, and you know, for you know, fixing genes of people, uh, cystic fibrosis is a great example because cystic fibrosis is one of the few that they have actually tried gene therapies on. And sometimes it works, but it doesn't work really well because basically what they do is they alter a virus and then they infect you with that virus in your lungs and the virus inserts into some of your lung cells and corrects the gene that's wrong in those cells. Now, the problem with cystic fibrosis is you don't have the gene in your lungs to help you regulate sodium channels in your lungs so you build up mucus. So if you can correct some of them, you can get normal function returning, but you still can't fix all of your lungs at one time. It's only the ones where the virus lands. And then the problem is it's a virus your body does recognize it as a virus. It attacks it. It clears the virus out. So the good you get from the genetic change usually gets kicked back out because your body attacks the virus and pushes the gene back out of your body. But you still have that gene everywhere else in your body, and the bad gene is still in your lungs. So Yeah. Uh, science. Speaking of science, this next one for you was, uh, William said, so I've been, I guess it's hearing, I've been hearing talk about artificial insemination in snakes and the reptile hobby. For example, someone wants an animal with these genes, clown albino, just for example, and decides to get a, sp uh, to get a sperm instead of the animal. And they get a few straws of the sperm, a few you know samples of the sperm. Is this a possible thing in the future when it comes to reptile breeding? I was hesitant to believe it because of sperm retention at reptiles was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Okay, so I had not actually heard about artificial insemination in snakes, but I Googled it up through some of, you know, my 
actually it wasn't Google so much as it was PubMed because that's where I go for science papers. And there are some papers on this um, dating back to early 2000s. Um, they have done it. Um, their only real success seems to be with uh, corn snakes. Hmm. Um, one of the most of the studies have been in corn snakes because they're, I guess, really stupid, easy to get a hold of and work with. Um, the they also tried it with uh, false water cobras, ATBs, and sanzinias. So, um, of, I guess out of curiosity, and and this is just. I don't know. This is just my brain and how it thinks, which is a scary place sometimes. Um, the the whole purpose of artificial insemination would be to keep a species alive that's no. potentially going extinct. No, they're not here. Or, yeah, they're wanting to make sure. That's, well, that's in, this, in this purpose, we're just seeing if it works so that we can eventually try it. Yeah, but if my male snake that's, doesn't want to breed, I can go out and buy sperm from a snake that does produce sperm. Well, and that's that's what William is asking. Now, these papers are all on the lines of what Katie is saying is, yeah, they're using it on snakes that are in the hobby because they're snakes that are easy to get a hold of in the hobby and to test the methodology. But ultimately, the goal is for conservation programs. So when you're looking at things like Louisiana pines, you know, their 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 ranges are so fragmented and broken up that those populations are probably getting inbred just because they don't have the genetic transfer across. So rather than, you know, exchanging animals between sites, which can be dangerous because we don't know, you know, there could be snake fungal disease at one site. And if you're transferring animals between sites, now you're spreading the diseases too. If they could capture a male at one site, extract sperm from that male, and then go to a new site and inseminate females at that new site, they're, they're promoting genetic diversity in this way. That's that's like the ultimate goal that I'm seeing from these, the papers that I've been able to find, and I'll I'll post them. Um, I'll post them as a reply to William's thing. You mean so um, the goal is not so I can produce banana clown pies whenever I want? No, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. a person, you know, the hobby side of. The hobby side could do that, but it's not just, you know, you don't just take a straw and stick it in the female's cloaca and blow. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, you use a turkey baster and just squeeze it on in there. Oh, my goodness. You know, like, Y'all think snakes are expensive now. Wait till they're artificially inseminated. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Is, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, probably worth, it's probably a lot more expensive than it's worth because you've got to use – I mean, you have to use an endoscope. You have to use – um, a cannula to dilate the oviduct so you could, you know, open the sphincter to be able to deliver the sperm through it. So there's so I mean, much involved. I, I know people that were dog breeders and have, you know, done the whole the whole turkey baster method with dogs, different. but something as small as a a snake. I mean. It's a, and then it's not I, just I just, bit, but there's a whole lot more. Well, involved. I know. Plus, the female's got to be like receptive. Re, yeah, it's it. Oh my gosh, this so, is insane. So, so, William, yes and no. That Thank is your you answer. Yes and no. Making our brain turn tonight. Uh, that is, yeah. like I said, I will post. 
I will post a couple of the articles up as replies to William's question. So anybody who's interested, go to the Reptile Gumbo page, find the, you know, the post that James made saying we're recording tonight with me, and then scroll down. You'll find William's post, and I've just put three links to three abstracts there, and those basically sum up everything. If you want to get into the actual PDFs, I'm thinking that they're all going to be behind paywalls. I haven't bothered to check because I'm at home and I know that my home computer won't let me behind most paywalls. You know, my work computer, I might be able to, but even then, I don't think any of these fall directly in line with my exact line of work. So we probably don't have access to them that way. My brain hurts from science. We need a baking question. I'm going to a baking question. All right. So Lavissa, I guess I said that, Lavissa, Lavissa Ratliff says, is it true that if you replace the oil with double the amount of butter and add one extra egg to a box cake mix, it tastes like a homemade cake from a bakery? A homemade cake. That's what I said, homemade. Uh, it says, I've tried several times, and it just tastes like a box cake. And I have to agree with LaVisa. I ha- There's nothing that I have been able to do to a boxed cake to make it taste like anything other than a boxed cake, <laughs> which is why I don't make box cakes anymore. I make all my cakes from scratch. Fancy. Well, you're getting cupcakes later from a box. <laughs> well, I want cupcakes. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. Reggie Raven said, are there any advancements on arena virus IBD testing and BOAs yet? Here in the UK, testing is pretty much useless. Tests can come up positive, but negative tests can still be, very likely be false, and the animal could actually be positive. Um, I don't know of any advancements in any of these tests, um, not just for arena and IBD, but, you know, NIDO, crypto, anything. Um, the kind of gold, go-to gold standard these days is PCR-based tests. Um they are good because they can detect very low levels of the virus. At the same time, they are not foolproof, and sometimes those very low levels are not sensitive enough. Um, so, like, you would think being able to detect 100 copies of the virus would be good, but you might have a snake that is low-level infectious or is got 10 copies of the virus. That snake will test negative, even though it's technically positive. So it's harboring the virus and you don't know about it, but you're treating it like it doesn't because the test said no. But that's because the test is only sensitive to 100 copies of the virus. <clears throat> um, I think we see that with like I said, a lot of these tests. Um Designing these tests can be difficult and problematic. So, um, just because of the weirdness that DNA can have, and this is a constant headache in my life because this is part of what I do, not for snakes but for other things. Which is why quarantine, quarantine, and then quarantine some more. Yes, but even then, like your quarantine can miss, you know. Three months, six months, if your snake doesn't show anything, well, that's great. But, you know, you can even be testing in that time. Yeah. And if the snake is infected at a low-level, you know, latent, and everything seems fine, and then you bring that snake into the snake room and it's fine, 
and then it's breeding season and then the stress of your temperature changes and then being introduced to another animal is enough to shift that animal's immune system where the virus then kicks into gear and now you have an active infection and you know say it's a female snake then she infects the male and you're spreading that male across a couple of different females now you go from one infected snake to five infected snakes and you know those other animals may not show it and then the next year you're putting different males on those females so now you have those five females have now seen you know multiple males and you're now spreading you know you go from one to five to 15 to 50 and then you know two years down the road something happens and all of your snakes collapse because you had an outbreak without even realizing it because the sensitivity of the test was just off and i'm not i'm not saying that don't test your animals um I'm just saying take it with a grain of salt that sometimes a negative test isn't always negative. So it's good if you have any suspicions to test multiple times. And it's also good to keep a constant eye on your animal. Don't just think that a negative test now means that your animal will never show any type of symptomology. You need to watch it. And then depending on the diseases, I also don't think we have a full grip on the nature of a lot of these. Um, I think that some of these diseases are probably a lot more endemic than we realize. And I think that they may be not problematic within a species. We may have, and I'm just grabbing this out of the air. Don't everybody come crucifying me saying that I'm making things up. Like there could be corn snake nidovirus that's specific to corn snakes and they could have it and they're not really affected by it terribly. Like it can basically be the common cold to them. But then when it goes from corn snakes into carpet pythons, it's foreign to carpet pythons. So then it, it starts messing up the carpet pythons because it's just too different for them and their body doesn't recognize it and it becomes a problem. So the good news I, I, is I think people don't understand. We don't have a, we can test for things but we still don't have a full grip on what it all means to have a positive test. And I see people now who are like, well, I tested three snakes that I got in and one of them had Nido. And so I put all three snakes down because they all came from the same breeder. And I think that might be a little bit of overkill. I would say isolate those three snakes, isolate them for longer and test them more repeatedly, but watch them. Because some of these snakes can still live a long time when they test positive for these things. Um, I think Cody and Pia, they've got a green tree that tested positive for Nido like five or six years ago. And it lives basically in a shed all by itself away from all of their animals on their property. But yeah, that animal they is have still a Nido fine. shed. That animal is still fine. Now, you know, this is one of these, is that Nido that that snake has like green tree nido and so it's fine with it or is it some other type of nido and it's just not rampaging through you know is it is it a covid type situation did did it wipe out a whole bunch of their snakes but some snakes are just naturally immune to it and that snake is fine now now i wouldn't want to expose it to anybody else but that snake can live a long and healthy and perfectly normal life it just has to live away from the rest of their collection and I know a lot of keepers don't want to think that way because they don't want to have two or three or four separate rooms 
for, well, these are my NIDO positive snakes and these are my arena positive snakes and these are my snakes that I don't think have anything and these are my crypto positive snakes. But you need to think a little bit more broadly. Sometimes you can't just cram everything into one room together. And I would recommend, Reggie, if you have any other like other questions, PIA is a great source of info when it comes to that kind of stuff too. Uh, they're doing a lot of work. And they do testing there with fish head diagnostics and all that as well. So, uh, and I ashamedly have not had the chance to talk with Pia. I would love to at some point because I think Pia and I could, you know, I know Cody is typically the one who is quoted as being the one you can never get to shut up. But I think if Pia and I sat down together just because of where we could meet with our knowledge, I think Pia and I could probably just go on for hours. <clears throat> so Pia, if you're listening, Travis wants to talk to you <laughs> about viruses. So, all right. Last question for you came from Scott Borden. Uh, and this came out. Of, oh, wait, no, Katie has one. So second to last question comes from Scott Borden. Thank you. Uh, he said, uh, how is it in dogs? We end up with one species of domestic dog, but dozens of breeds that are as different as night and day, such as husky is the same as a pug, but reptiles. That's not something we would ever see if, if even, See, even if length of time and domestication are equal, I'm just curious how that happens genetically. Because that, that is the whole thing. I always ask kids, you know, how many species of dogs are there? And they always want to throw out big numbers. I'm like, one. There is one domestic dog. And I'm going to argue with you here. Okay, go um, ahead. And now I haven't ever had this conversation in any long capacity with an evolutionary biologist, but... I don't believe that dogs are a single species. Okay. I believe that dogs are probably what we would more commonly in biology call a hybrid swarm, where they're a mix of a bunch of different species and hybrids across a gradient. Because they're all these hybrids, they can interbreed with each other along that gradient. But when you get to the far ends, you reach, you know, an incompatibility that would make you look at them as different species. So, I always you know, the, simple the, husky and the, pug, the husky and the pug are a good example. A Great Dane and a Chihuahua are a good example. You know, a Great Dane and a Chihuahua are the same species, and you, I'm making really big air quotes there, but there's no way you could get a Great Dane and a Chihuahua to interbreed. And if you could some way... Now, could you not do it just I, physically? But artificial semination could it would it still take? See, physically no. But I think if you did an artificial insemination, I'm not sure you would get viable pups out of it because I think I think there is such separation from them. You know, and if you look at the nature of how dogs came into being, the domestication events, it's not just we domesticated a wild species of canid. And from that, everything else came. We domesticated a wild species of canid, and then those were, you know, selectively bred in a couple of different ways. And then another wild species was brought in, and another wild species was brought in. So we've got, you know, Asian wolf, an Asian wild dog, and European fox, and coyote, and American wolf. And you've got all these different genetic components slotted in. So the dogs are really just this big mess of different hybridized canid species that has blended over this spectrum 
that looks like things. Well, I think the problem now, is the simple definition of species confuses it because the simple definition of species is um, anything that can breed and create for a offspring. Exactly. But you can breed two different species of carpet, obviously different species of carpet python together, and then their offspring are viable and those offspring can reproduce. So that goes right. And that's, that's what I was going to get at was, you know, Scott says we're not going to see that even over equal time in domestication. And, you know, in some respects, we already do. You know, we've got it with carpet pythons, um, more so in Australia, because they are less care. They have less care about, you know, blending across the lines and they'll do bread lie with diamond, with carp, with coastal, with jungle, with inland, with Darwin, with whatever, you know. But, you know, they all end up as being some kind of carpet. I think we see that a bit with the retics. More and more, it's looking like the different dwarf and super dwarf variants of retic are actually different species. But we're breeding them across with each other. I think we see it in green tree pythons. We know that there's at minimum two species and potentially up to four species, depending on, you know, how tightly or how loosely you read Natusha's paper and how far you want to take it. You well, know, well, I mean, but, you can breed corn snakes to king snakes and produce viable offspring. Right. You know, you can breed corn snakes to king snakes and rat snakes. You know, you can, you know, a corn snake is also called a red rat snake. It's kind of called that for a reason. What's the difference between a red rat snake and a gray rat snake and a Florida rat snake? You know, you, you can blend these things across so much and, you know, I mean, corn snakes is a great one. Three or four or five, probably more of the high, of the morphs that we see in corn snake, do not originate in corn snake stock. They originate in other and other snakes. Um, emery rats. You know, at least one of the amels comes from the emery rat. Um, a couple of them come from the gray rat. You know, they're they're just a blend across. You know, they still look like corn snakes, but that's because we keep breeding them back to normal corn snakes to make them look like corn snakes. You know, people did that trick a lot. Um, they tried it with gray bands to make an albino gray band. You know, if you know what you're looking at, it's not really an albino gray band. It's a hybrid. So there you go, Scott. It's, it's a very complex answer. <laughs> so take that. Okay. Last question for Travis comes from Katie or else she's going to yell at me if I don't let her ask it. It's a baking question. Okay, baking question. Do you have a sugar alternative that you prefer? For baking? Yeah. Um, depending on what I'm doing, I will do up to 60% Splenda. But okay. I there's nothing... Oh, there's nothing in the world like sugar. Well... <laughs> It depends on what I'm doing, but like... Says the diabetic that's not supposed to have it. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife's type 1 as well, so... I I'm understand. type 2. I'm not type 1, but... Um, but like, sometimes the sugar, like, you need the consistency of the sugar to be able to do... Th- like, when you cream sugar and butter for cookies, you can't cream Splenda and butter the same way. It because just, they it don't turn not- out correctly. It does not come out the same way. So right. you need you need the sugar for the structural matter that it gives. That makes sense. To some extent. Um, 
you know, because so you can, you, you can blend things, but well, there's a 100% alternative. I can't think of anything. Right. And when you do, when you supplement something else for the sugar, a lot of times the rest of the recipe will change and adjust as well. So like you can't just swap out sugar for a sugar substitute. You also have to adjust other things in the recipe and, you know, then you end up with a whole different recipe. So, and yeah, that's, you know, dealing with those keto and paleo recipes, if you look at them, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're so complicated to they make them are. even close. And even then they, well, they say they're close. They're kind of not. Really they're close. not, they don't <laughs> taste the same. They're not as good. And it's, it's almost worth just, well, for me, because I'm not a type one, I'm a type two. So if I like eat stuff, I'm not supposed to, and then go for a walk, it'll, my sugars will balance themselves out. Um, so I don't know. I'm just moderation. And, and one other baking thing, uh, (laughs) Justin, I know you're listening. (laughs) Leave him alone. Red red velvet cake and chocolate are the same thing. Apparently, Leave him alone. (laughs) Oh, I didn't, honestly, I didn't know that, but it didn't change my feelings. I still love chocolate and red velvet. I'm not a big fan of chocolate. That's because you're wrong. Or chocolate ice cream. That's because you're wrong. It's fine to be wrong. Just know that you're wrong. I like black and white Katie. snakes. I like vanilla okay. cake. <laughs> my, my wife is a chocolate and peanut butter fan. Oh, those are that's I, a good combination. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a big chocolate peanut butter person. It's just not really for me. Reese's peanut butter cups are, are the best you, thing on earth. Are, do you like? Do you like chocolate on its own, on its own, and peanut butter on its own, or do you just not like them in combination together? I, I, I'm not really a fan of and them separately or together. I will straight up put peanut butter on a piece of toast and then drizzle it with Hershey's chocolate syrup and eat it for breakfast. And she will just put peanut butter on bread and eat it. For yes, breakfast. I will. And, I can't do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a real fan. I can of that. eat peanut butter out of a jar with a spoon. Yeah, though. but you eat smooth. I like crunchy peanut. I butter. I don't like stuff in my peanut butter. I need smooth <laughs> peanut butter. <laughs> and I have this in my house. My so wife likes the natural smooth. My daughter likes the. My youngest daughter likes the like jiffy smooth. Mm-hmm. Or no, the the not the jiffy. The I can't. Remember. I like yeah, no, Peter Pan. Smooth, and then my oldest daughter likes the Jif crunchy. So I have three kinds of peanut butter in the house, one for each person. I like the Peter Pan creamy peanut butter, and my daughter likes the Jif peanut butter. Just give me crunchy peanut butter. I don't care what brand. You can give me the Walmart brand. I don't care. I'll eat it. And if I'm going camping, then I want the the Goober peanut butter and jelly that are swirled together in the jar. I can go with that. My dad would only buy that for us when we were going camping as kids. Enough peanut butter and jelly talk. All right. Last thing I want to hit on uh, is a, is a, is a positive note. It's a win. Yes. Uh, U.S. Arc Florida, you know, they've been having to fight this whole battle with cucumbers and iguanas and this whole issue that's been going on. And uh, they started lumping the in. It was, it was a big mess. Anyways, they fought it. They had a judge uh, make a ruling and says they have some news. Good news. The judge agreed with U.S. Arc Florida and found that. Senate Bill 1414 is, in fact, unconstitutional. Uh, we will post full details soon, but the judge granted our motion for summary judgment, and now we just await this formal order stating the same. Thank you to everyone who supported us. Please keep your donations coming. We must still pay the lawsuit and future actions that are going to come, and they will come. Uh, they added a side note. 
This will take a few days to be finalized and for uh, Fish and Wildlife to rescind their executive order. We also do not know if Fish and Wildlife will appeal. Also, by unconstitutional, we mean that Florida Constitution, not the U.S. Constitution. Uh, this is a state lawsuit against the state agency and not a federal lawsuit. But it is a win in the right direction. Um, but obviously, the state's going to try and fight that. They're not going to take a loss. Not for something like this. But... That is awesome. That's great news. That was what April wanted me to make sure I talked about. And we did it. And we did. So. uh, And while this is a very good thing, as they said, this is not the end. This will never be the end. Oh, heavens no. This isn't even the end of Florida. Yeah, it's not the end of Florida. It's not, you know, Florida's... Florida is one of these battleground states for this because, you know, once they can push it there and they can use Florida as a poster child because that's where a lot of these things are happening. But once they get it established in Florida, then they can just start lining it up like dominoes to go to other states. So it's important that all hobbyists, regardless of how many animals you have or what kind of animal you have, I don't care if you only keep leopard geckos, donate to US Arc. You know, yes. just five bucks a month is not going to kill you. Just don't go to Starbucks once a month. <laughs> go, go donate to US Arc. I, one of the things that I have done for years and years and years is anytime I'm shipping through, uh, ship your reptiles, they've got a drop down for add extra to US Arc. I top that out at $20 every time. And that's out of my pocket. That's not out of whoever's getting an animal from me. And it's not, I mean, I use ship your reptiles for non-reptile related things too, just because I can get discounted FedEx shipping for things. Yeah, I've done that too. Every, every single time I have done it, I, I've done that $20 thing because it's just a really easy $20 boom straight to US Arc. So over the years, I have donated, a, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and I will continue to do it. You know, if you want... Build it into every snake that you sell. Five dollars for every snake that you sell. So maybe your snakes are five dollars more expensive than other people's. And if somebody says that at a reptile show to you, you're like, "Yeah, well, why are your snakes more expensive?" And you can say, "Because I put five dollars from every snake I sell to U.S. Ark because they're helping us and put a fight little, these battles." So put a little our animals. Table. Put a sign on your table. Something on your table. Point out to it, you know. Print up a couple of flyers, and you can just hand them to people. Oh. Point them to the US Arc booth because US Arc is almost always got a booth at every reptile show. Well, and out. what's really cool is if you're if you're selling snakes, and this is something that you want to be able to promote as someone who's aware of what's going on in the hobby, I'm more likely to buy a snake from someone who is supporting an organization like that and telling me up front, "Hey, by the way, five dollars of your." This purchase goes to this. Well, and and U.S. Arc is vitally important because we talked about earlier with the venomous keeping. Uh, there are stupid people out there doing stupid things, and those are the ones that are going to ruin stuff for us. And if U.S. Arc wasn't around to help counteract that, uh, we wouldn't be able to keep anything. I mean, I, one one story I didn't share was one that someone posted. Jason posted a the title literally is "Python Caught Near Georgia Home Leading to Concerns of Invasive Species." All right couple issues with this whole article one the picture or video they posted you click on it is this big burmese python in their hands from florida it's definitely a picture from florida the actual snake caught is a ball python in georgia and there's no fear of invasive species of pythons in georgia because that would have died 
It would have easily died once the first cold snap came through because the damn things can't make it out of the floor, out of the south, southernmost part of Florida without dying when the cold comes through. Well, and it's a ball python, so, you know. One ball as a keeper yeah. of ball pythons, they're well, as a keeper of ball pythons, they're dumb as rocks. <laughs> I mean, they are. It's not like that ball python's going to be like, you know, I'm going to stake out this area. It, it's it's going to curl up in a ball somewhere and freeze to death. Like it's going to it's going to curl up in a drainage pipe, and it's going to get cold, and the drainage pipe is going to freeze over, and it's going to freeze to death. And but, that's, that's just the nature of it. And it's those article headlines, though, that grab people and make them go, oh, no one should own snakes because this could happen. I could have giant pythons in my backyard in Georgia, well, and what which isn't true. Is people also don't read the article and then they just turn around and share it on social media because yeah. of the picture and the headline when it's nothing. Yes. Do pe- your research, pe- people. People Do are stupid. Research. The general public is stupid. And if anybody's offended by that, you're probably the stupid one I'm talking about. But the general public is stupid, and luckily U.S. ARC is out there fighting stupidity for us. Give them money. Yes. They're not out there just making profit. That's not how this works. No, that's that's the Humane Society of the United States that's out there yes. just making profit. <laughs> so. And lying to you and telling you that they're they're saving the puppies. Those sad commercials don't actually save any puppies. They just make more money for people. Right. I mean, what they're doing is they're making money to pay Sarah McLaughlin to to steal her song. Okay, before. fellas, tell me how you really feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a soapbox you're both getting on. I Look, they're, they're, they and Pete are the two worst. They, those are terrorist organizations. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. They 100% meet the requirements for being a terrorist organization. Oh my goodness. They are, they are definitely deceptive in their practices. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. So that is all we had for this week, which wasn't really long. I say all we had. We we did it. We, we went over two hours. Yeah, you were you were worried that we wouldn't be able to make it. I was, I was worried. I was wrong. I was definitely wrong. Uh, Never underestimate the amount of time you can talk about reptile things. I know. Let me go ahead and get my plugs again for my sponsors towards the end. Uh, again, uh, Lone Star Reptile Racks. Make sure if you need a good reptile rack, contact them over there. Uh, they are doing really good business right now. I know he will be at the Conroe show. I believe. I, say I know. And believe, I was just about to ask. But I'm pretty sure he's going to be at Conroe as well. Uh, so if you want to get something, let him know ahead of time. He can get get it to you at Conroe. Um, and if he's not going to be at Conroe, he can still do it. I know he's going to be there because he's bringing me a rack. Uh, and also go to his Instagram. Add friends to it. Get into the drawing for a free rack. Win a free rack from him. Again, he covers shipping. So if you win, you get a free rack and no shipping. Maybe I should try to do that and then I could breed corn snakes. You're not going to breed corn snakes. I'm going to still have to take care of corn snakes. Katie, you're going to breed Mexican black king snakes. Yes! See? Travis is the favorite. (laughs) Great. Breed them now. They cost nothing. What do you know? There was all those years where they were $200. You're like, hey, I'm going to breed them now. They're $40 again. She'll be waiting for the next wave. <laughs> wait around to come around again. Sorry, I totally just interrupted your spiel about Robert. <laughs> so, anyways, contact Robert at Lone Star Reptile Rex. And then also, again, the Herbs Reptile Shows. Uh, go to them. They're great. If you're worried about coronavirus, don't. They've got them spaced out. Everybody's wearing a mask. It is safe. They've been doing them for months now and with no problems. Uh, go to the Herbs Shows. Support vendors at reptile shows especially now as these reptile shows come back i know people are worried about going to them but those vendors many of those vendors that is their job the you know myself it's not my job i go there i sell some snakes and have fun it's a hobby but i know many people that are full-time in this and uh they took a big hit i mean it's not they took a big hit that 
don't get me wrong, reptile sales have been pretty good with COVID-19, but uh, it has been hard on some of them not being able to do these regular shows. Uh, so go support them. Forget and, forget PetSmart and Petco. They're, go support at a reptile show. And if you are in Conroe, you can see James's better half working one of the registers when you come in. I'm working that weekend. Yeah. So sure. just tell them, tell them that you listen to the podcast, and when you come in, she'll charge you the regular amount. That's right. See, it's a deal. <laughs> so, all right, Travis, if they want to get a hold and talk to you, and if they want some awesome cookie recipes, uh, where can they get a hold of you at? Um, you can find me on Facebook. I am Travis Wyman. Um, slight note there, there is another Travis Wyman. He is a what? motocross racer. That's right. I That's was just about to say, me. not the motocross not, racer. Not the motocross <laughs> uh, You can also find me on Instagram, Snakes and Bakes. Best name. I do love it. Um, and you can email me, Splendii, A-S-P-L-U-N-D-I-I, at Gmail. Yeah, follow him on Facebook, and then you can really start to hate his coworkers because he makes his coworkers food all the time, and it looks really good. And I'm I'm saddened that I don't have any coworkers that bake me food every week. I have a coworker that bakes, but uh, she hasn't done that in a while. I might need to get every week. Travis posted there was what did you post? It was like uh, oh jalapeno. No, what was it that you posted? Yeah, jalapeno cheddar scones. What jalapeno cheddar scones? I saw that posted. Sounds pretty good. So. All right, if you need to get uh, – April's not here. If you want to get a hold of April, uh, Designer Exotics on all the pla- – I should probably know like what it is by now, but I don't. It's Designer Exotics. Just so search for that. I know they have a website, designerexotics.net maybe. I think it's net. I don't think it's com. Um, and if it's me, you can get a hold of me. It's Simply Serpents. Uh, so well, Simply Underscore Serpents on Instagram or Simply Serpents on Facebook. For the podcast, it is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Everywhere you need to find us, Instagram, Facebook, uh, at Gmail for our email. Uh, every week, again, we will post. We want to know from you what you saw that week, what's interesting, any questions you have. Post it on there, and we'll talk about it next week. So uh, as long as we don't have another hurricane, I will have a show next week. Hopefully, we'll have internet at our house by uh, then. We have internet, too. I got school stuff to I, I'm, do. <laughs> I'm saying that like, like, oh, no, I don't have internet. as first world problems. Like, there's people in Louisiana that don't have a house, and I'm bitching about no internet. So I'm kind of an asshole here. But... I still want my internet. I have work to do and I can't do it. Mine's not for work. Mine is because like Netflix doesn't work on my TV at home because I don't have internet for it. No, so, I just want to do school stuff. First world problems. <laughs> so thank you, Travis. It was great. Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We get asked about you all the time. So there we go. Now they got you. So, all right, that's it. Bye guys. Bye guys.